Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Harry, how are you my friend? Hello, how are you? Very well indeed, I'm feeling very good at the moment, thank you. Yes, you're looking well. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. I was going to say, like you've got the world on your shoulders there, Chris. <clears throat> Sorry. I think, uh, yeah, I think when we spoke earlier, you summed it up a, a, a tough paper round. <laughs> You've yeah. had to work for your living. That's the thing. <laughs> I just turned up and had fun. <laughs> I think it's the fun that put the years on me, mate. Although I can't say they were all fun, but <laughs> not com- I'm not going to complain. <laughs> No, you've certainly had uh, some experiences there that are eye-opening, my friend. Yeah, makes me feel very sheltered. Wow! Well, let's exchange some stories because um, I'm going to be facet, and I know people at home will be. Um, first thing I'm going to say is thank you to whoever put us in touch. But it was so long ago, and I get so many thousands of messages a week. I'm really sorry, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, your names, but but thank you. Please remind me, and I'll give you a shout out in the next video. Cool. Um, so someone suggests check out Harry Tangi. Did I did I pronounce it right? Yeah, perfectly. Yeah. Very unusual to do that. I usually sit in dentist waiting rooms, waiting for them to have a go, just because that's the only entertainment I have in life now. Is uh, but yeah, they give it and it's Tangi, Tangai, and then they always spell it wrong anyway. But Tangi, yes, as in yes. as in a hot sauce. Yeah, and it, it, there's a, there's a slight Maori sound to it, or is that just my travels? Yeah, no, it isn't. It's it's. But you're right. I had a, a small business uh, for the last sort of fifteen years, and the delivery man was a bit surprised, and he said I was expecting someone Chinese. And uh, but Maori, I've not had before. But you're right; it does it does sound straight. It's, it comes from France originally, so still um, and uh, yeah, from Tongi. When your mother was the chair of the Cornwall Family History Society, you <laughs> John unravels this massive family tree on your floor to so the you know 1660. I think she got it back to, but wow. uh, yeah. Yeah, she's, <laughs> so that's where it's been. It's been Birmingham for quite a while. They made a few quid up there, and then they lost it and came down to Southwest. Uh, so you know a bit of your family history, then. Yeah, I'm, luckily I, I'm fortunate to have um, someone do it all for me. So yeah, we've been in Cornwall for a hundred years. So so uh, yeah, I'm able to give a lot of jokes about that because I am Cornish. <laughs> I'm going to stay on the fence here because <laughs> when you live where I do over the border from Cornwall there's a lot of jokes I'm sure the Cornish wouldn't appreciate no no I'll just, exactly I just spend yeah. uh, a good deal of my time surfing or holidaying or camping in Cornwall and um yeah absolutely love the place and uh and it's and only that, it's only since I mean I left Cornwall when I was 18 and uh, I pop back now and then for family, quite a bit actually, but it's only when you leave. And then I, I did some VIP protection stuff and we get 50, 60 visits, several visits a year in Devon and Cornwall. And you suddenly see all these amazing places. It's, it's, you, because you, you tend to take the arterial routes to get from 
Newquay to Truro to Plymouth to you know and in the southwest and uh, and then but you don't actually go to Lost Withiel <laughs> you know wow. unless you're on holiday. <laughs> yeah, I went to um, Port Isaac when I was about ten. A family, a, a fam, a, my friend went and his family took me with them. Um, and it was just after the around about the time of the Penley lifeboat disaster. So that was a Goodness. yeah something, something from my youth that yeah kind of has affected certainly affected my emotions and and, and way of being. The, the bravery of those men is just oh, I listened to the on one of the anniversaries recently, last couple of years. I listened to the radio transmissions uh, between the lifeboat and uh, and you know, if people search that on on youtube is the penley lifeboat <clears throat> and it's the the skipper the captain that was was relaying it back to uh, the coast guard as such and and then it goes silent and they keep calling penley lifeboat penley lifeboat it's, it's so eerie so eerie and i think there's a grandson or something that works that is a lifeboatman on the on there now i think from one of the people that were lost there it's, it's uh, yeah quite a story that yeah, and, and for our friends at home, I, I, I would say the pride in that, uh, what do you call it, career service? Yeah, yeah. It's way higher than any other of the services. Yeah. You know, you follow your father onto the lifeboat and every time you get on board, certainly in a storm, you, you know you might not be coming back. no. Exactly. And I think, well, they lost one in France recently, didn't they? Um, the equivalent lifeboat uh, took all the windows out. And it, was a, it looked like, and I asked a friend of mine who's um, a medic on a uh, Sulcum lifeboat. And I said, you know, that looked like a modern boat. Would that, if it, and he said, yeah, it was. They're quite, they're good boats. They're not quite as good as ours, but they're good boats. And they, they lost a lot of lifeboat crew there because it turned over and in the storm and ultimately they can't say nah it's a little bit rough i think we'll leave this one out you know um they go out no matter what you imagine people in the old days i know it's direct burden but it, it, with the rowing i mean what what's that all about it's in crazy. the old days they would row out in open boats in, into the in, into force whatever yeah. 10 10 storms um yeah. with cork lifeboat jackets you know yeah, crazy stuff, I think. And that's why, and I bring it around to, and that's why in my policing career, statistically, I still feel I'm pretty safe. Yeah, I get a few knocks and knocks. I might get injured, but statistically, uh, we've had some tragic fatalities, but um, there's probably more deaths in a building site. And certainly with the military side of things, and I've always thought it's it's that sort of it's almost like the Russian roulette. You don't know when you're walking down that road whether there's an IED or not, and whether it's been found or not. And that dealing with that mentally is so much more in a past. So that's why I respect the, the military incredibly so much on that side of things. And then I certainly, as a an armed cop, you know, in the southwest, we've had it pretty clear. And that's why I specialise in other things we do down here, such as fatal road traffic collisions as well down here. But but yeah, I think I've had it pretty easy. I've had it pretty. I pretty. I pretty much knew that I was coming home every day, you know. So there's a couple of occasions I thought, "Oh, it's a bit cheeky." But um, but yeah, no, I, I've been pretty lucky, really. Yes. Well, I had Helen 
Barnett on the podcast, very one wonderful woman. Yeah. Um, was one of the sort of early days of the armed response team. I think, oh. I think, I think the first female, although apologies if I've got yeah. that wrong, got blown up by the IRA, stabbed and shot. <laughs> yeah. And I did say st- statistically, that's, yeah. That is one in a million to have. To, <laughs> yeah. Someone's know. trying to tell you. <laughs> like the, ho- the Holy Grail of, um, of, of, in- of uh, yeah. you know, the Holy Grail of attacks on your person. The, the Grand there. Slam. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. 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 Impressive stuff. It's, yeah. And I think the, I mean, Northern Ireland is another one, isn't it? It's, you know, when I talk to people from there, um, and I, I talk regularly because of my my Twitter side of things. I love to to know the politics and things. And when you hear something go on in the national news, I can usually get hold. I call it the the a, um, uh, you know the dark room of of Twitter, really, uh, tongue in cheek, really, because it's the dark web of Twitter. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, because there's groups that I've got there that are very much related. And so we can between us, we can get the truth. We can. You know, we can say, right, that police officer has been shown to show red mist and whatever. He's really, really angry. And somebody said, right, sack him, sack him. He said something quite, you know, terrible. And so we can usually find out, well, what's this guy like? And and I'll often get, he's the salt of the earth and he's absolutely gutted. He's just been on his sixth shift in a row. And this little oik, he went to, to court the week before and he's out and he's goading the officer and he's just snapped, you know. And you just think, well... So then I can go on the fact that I can sort of say, right, in a 30-year career, you in your jobs can probably get away with losing your ag once a while, but there's videos here for everyone now. You know, the police can't get away with that. Um, and is it realistic expectation of these times? You know, so I can go on that angle. But if I got the fact that, no, the boat's an idiot, he needs to go, well, great. <laughs> you know? Uh, so it's quite useful to know details behind it. And, and that's the fortunate position I'm in at the moment now where I can get that sort of information. If I don't know it, somebody probably will. And of course, people then come to you as well and with information as well. So that's quite useful, especially in media, which um, can be a little tricky sometimes, whether you're getting the narrative or whether it's actually the facts now, or they're just hearing one person's view, the one side view. We're not getting the other view so much now, especially in the police where they're not able to say, well, actually, this is what really happened, you know. Like they yes. tend to keep quiet because especially with subjudice, they think, and it's traditional that we don't defend ourselves. And I say us until I retired April. I'm pretty good at that, Chris, to be honest. I'm not, I'm really keen. Now I've left the police to not say we too much, even though I said it us then and, and my colleagues and all this, because now I've, I'm, I'm really keen to say, no, I'm off. That's it. New generation now. Let them get on with it their turn and not to cling on to that it's quite liberating though <laughs> we'll come on to that we'll also may- maybe touch on the um the media landscape because uh don't think many people who watch my podcast are a, a, of a fan of the uh dark age media as we call them yeah um yeah uh, but or am i, <laughs> I- Yes. Well, the, again, this comes to what, what I was about to say is um, not only have you had 
a, a huge career in the police, 30 years on the front line, been in, in, involved with traffic. I'm just going to say mm -hmm. how it is in my mind, the chase yeah, cars, the cool. firearms unit, uh, fatal accidents, all this kind of thing. And now, obviously, your your specialist knowledge is um, helping people in the form of consultancy. But of course, you've got your YouTube channel, which is, I think, why why this this uh, gentleman put us in touch. And you're you're quite liberated for a yeah someone who spent such a long time in a regimented yeah. service, and that's obviously mm -hmm. what appeals to me because it it um i think it makes for a more progressive and helpful conversation for <clears throat> all of us if you can step out of the role and and ref realistically yeah. reflect without bias on it and and that's the really important bit is nobody listens to a shouty person you know if i came out and said right you know the police are ace and everyone else who criticizes them are terrible and this, that, and the other. And uh, because it just becomes white noise and it's really important. If you get a balanced view, I always, I always realized that if I wanted something from my boss, I would say, look, this is really good, this bit, and this is bit, and this really works, but this bit here is really messing it up. You knew you would get a much better result than just going to him and going, boss, this is rubbish, this bit, you know. And you you needed to give it a, a little bit of um, context, really. Mm. Um, so when when I uh, got out the job, um, I my force, Devon and Cornwall Police, were massively um, progressive with things such as social media. Um, Sean Sawyer, the chief constable, was ex-Met. And he was incredibly, I've never heard a bad word against him from the Met. And he's brought that on. He's a real people person, you know. He mm. totally gives gives a shit, <laughs> you know. And the deputy chief, Paul Netherton, exactly the same. And that really goes down into the 3,000 uniform staff and 2,000 non-uniform staff. So this is quite a big, big force. Nothing like the Met, but um, it's a big force spread over a wide area. And they could see the value of i think you've got your your uh, they could see the value of getting the public to know what they're getting for the taxpayers money but also doing twitter and that side of things was really useful for showing the bosses what we're doing at four o'clock in the morning which they wouldn't have necessarily know and it might not get through the briefing it wasn't probably big enough to get through the briefing but they knew we were nibbling nibbling away at, at, at crime and so they knew when they heard something to say well the arv's a lazy bunch of you know they well actually I know what they were doing last night and the night before. So that was what it was. But then I would trip over a few of those tripwires. And then when you, I think back then, I had sort of 30,000 followers on Twitter, Then, and I would be asked to speak to corporate comms about something that I'd had two complaints on. And I, I was able to say, well, this has got a 30,000 neutral or positive um feeds on it so can we just concentrate on them and let me deal with the two you know but they had a job to do to try to reduce complaints and things like that and sometimes it hit the local papers controversial police officer and most most police forces would have run for the hills absolutely run for the hills but they backed me on the all the hill on the, to the hill because they knew that 
if ever I tripped on a tripwire, it wasn't negligence or, um, you know, it wasn't discipline or anything like that. It was just something that went a little bit awry because some things go wrong when you talk about controversial subjects, you know? Yes. Yes, it's very hard, isn't it, to ha- to be strong-minded and have your own identity and in in such an environment, especially mm. a male-dominated, yeah. um, you know, I, I could go on um, and and last as long as you, as long as you did, Harry. Yeah, yeah, it is. I I have been very fortunate, and I think I would have been shut down in two weeks uh, in most other forces. And I say most, I'd say 90% of other forces. And I think they were, it's getting more popular. And then the problem is the corporate comms team, you can see their problem is because even if it's, if it's uh, positive uh, press or it's negative, it's just as much work for them. The, number, the phones ring. And I think they jokingly said to me, Harry, we're going to have to take on two more staff if you carry on like this, you know. And... Uh, I remember the chief. The chief said to me, "He was very kind." He said, "Harry, we could do with ten more of you." And I said, "So even I only think I could do with one." Because <laughs> it was, it was kind of, because it created, um, you know. But I, I realised why I did it now is because I needed something else. I need. I had this feeling of in, the injustices in the world. I'm not going to change the world. But if I'm in a position to be able to just dip that paddle in and, and in that in those rapids and adjust the direction of the boat that's careering down it, then I, I want to do that. Whereas other people are they don't need that crap, you know. And it's because if I had had ten years left, I wouldn't have done it because I had five. Because the and I knew that I wasn't going to say anything pretty much that was going to get me in real trouble, you know. Um, I knew that if I'd had a couple of beers, I didn't, I didn't want to go. If if somebody said something quite, I wouldn't have gone right. Da, 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 da. You know, I I didn't get that urge. The urge I got was to go right, okay. And the, the example I give actually it wasn't. It was uh, I was um, I was on the uh, a seafront and I was telling people, look, we're here. We're looking for people on their mobile phones. A woman on her, she had an iPad on her lap going over a zebra crossing okay so this is pushing it a bit this is not even mobile phone this is a, she's got an ipad on her lap and she's she's going over this zebra crossing so you know and somebody said you're just a taxpayer for that you're you're just a tax collector for the government and i thought you know and that would get some happen normally people who would reply were saying no well you know this is you need to conform to road safety and this and the other and but nobody listens to that and i thought mm, it's a bit cheesy this but yeah go for it I said, mm-hmm. I look into the eyes of dead people. I'm no tax collector. And the the guy, the guy, the guy to his credit went, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, and I think that's that's the thing is when people see cops giving a ticket out, um, they think it's like, right, how many tickets can we go? But when I, I stopped counting at 150 fatalities, and from you know, I from a six-year-old child. And going to this to their post mortem, and uh, doing the full investigation to um, a car full of four teenagers uh, looked like they could just open the door and walk out. 
is is phenomenal and that and that that's the eerie side of of things and uh, yeah i stopped counting at 150 i had a bit of a a slowdown at the end because they they said right armed response sergeants are we going to take away your senior investigating officer role it's now called the uh lio um lead investigating officer i think for traffic and uh they took it away from all of us and i think they thought we were going to go no give it back you know because it's you and it, to be honest it was another string to the bow i was happy to release at that time i think i probably had enough so when they came afterwards and said well actually does anyone want their their role you know their, their specialism back and we're like no <laughs> we still attended them we still seem managed but um it was nice not to, to go I had enough stuff to do as well. Do you know what I mean? And I was really worried that that one little extra was going to to do the job on me. You know, that one that one they say you you you're absolutely fine, and it's that, that dripping water into the into the the glass, and then all of a sudden it overflows, and that's mm-hmm. when it all goes a bit peaked on. And I, I was very lucky; I got away without that so far. Well, you seem remarkably well balanced harry for some of the situations you must have witnessed uh, it, can you can to those of us that haven't turned up at a i mm. mean i've seen a few dead bodies in in my life um I bet, yeah some you know very close to me and um mm. it, it, it it but i i i just compartmentalize things you know i don't i just leave the emotion at the door when it comes to situations yeah. like that because I don't want the mental scarring that I had then. So I, I'm, I'm very good at that. But yeah. to turn up and see literally families that I'm guessing were in some instances ripped apart. Yeah. And, and I think the difference between, again, me and the military is I'm told, can you attend a serious injury? Or they already know it's a fatality. Or a local unit's got there and they said, we've got a fatality. We've got a double fatality. I'm already preparing. Whereas in the military, and and these are strangers to me. It might be a six-year-old child, and and I remember the first time I, I had a six-year-old, I had six-year-old twins at the time. And the 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 armed response officer doing CPR, his nephew is uh, was um, was six years old. The family liaison officer had a six-year-old child. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was just <clears throat> um, so you get those different emotions, but I wasn't walking in. Um, through an area on patrol and then my best mate got blown up entirely different because I found and you don't know if you're you don't know the until the first time you see a dead body whether you're just going to go fainted you just don't know you don't know whether you're going to throw up in the corner or whatever Um, I found that what my brain did and I'm as far away as a macho guy that you can get really is is, and it's probably been my savior is um um you know i'm I'm, i'll i'll have a a little wet eye at an advert you know it's pathetic um but maybe that's i think a release valve i don't know but i um i found with the gruesome stuff and yeah you couldn't get much more gruesome than the stuff but i find without going into detail you can chop things up and pour more blood on it and you can only do that so much Mm. you know once it's happened you think, well, okay, and you chop it up some more and put more blood on, and oh dear, that's terrible, it's terrible. And then you chop it on, and then you think, well, okay, we've reached that now. You know, what I find is is really eerie, and um, 
is is the circumstances, is what they're dressed in. The fact that the person in the back of the car, it's not one of my colleagues um, witnessed, the person in the back of the car was beheaded, but they were still had the magazine in their lap. That's crazy. And that can play on your mind if you're not careful. And it's the... It's the, the car on its roof that just gently rolled over. They weren't wearing a seatbelt. Gently rolled over up the armco. But we knew when we righted that car, to me, that that's the little cheeky one that get, tells me that was the scream mask. You know, um, it's, it's those... It, so it's not the gore. It's not the blood and the gore. You get used to that. And to me, can I be a little bit abrupt and say, to me, that's, that's just meat. That's no longer a person. The, the soul has gone. The person, I'm not religious either, but the the person has gone. That is just the carcass, you know? Mm. So that's fine. But it's the circumstances around it, really. Um, what they're dressed in, that they were going to go, that they were enjoying a day out in Quad World. And the parents shouted for the child to run towards them and the child didn't make it you know because the car was careering through that side of things is the story behind that's that's the bit that can can get you a little bit yeah i've got an oppo from the marines who joined the met and the thing that got him the most in his whatever it was probably 10 15 year career plus his military was turning up to a report possible potential suicide so doing a, what do you call it, a thingy check, a, a welfare yeah. check. Yeah. And the guy had hung himself. And as he's, you know, slowly spinning around there, he's got simply red on on repeat. Oh, right. And, of course, my friend then ple- was able to literally play the scenario in reverse to what this guy must, you know, how, how his thought process has been. Right, I'm going to play this music. I'm... Get, getting a bit depressed, you know, yeah. probably doing some of this yeah. and then makes the decision, Some something like this, but yes. I, I could see. I mean, yeah, that's it. It's the circumstances, isn't it? Yeah. It is the circumstances. And, and yeah, you got, you, you got your other ones that were, you know, you're talking someone on a bridge for 45 minutes and then they jump. Because, and you think the, the conversation you had with them and they were drunk, and they were dead. And you could tell the difference between, there's never a guarantee, but you could tell the person who wanted to be saved, you know, they want to throw you that rope so you can grab it. Just give me a reason, okay? And they, they're, they're okay. They can take some time, but you can bring them over. Um, I don't think there's many time wasters out there. You did get your, and you'd never say it at the time, but you did get your person who was the attention seeker. You did get those. Of course you get those, but they are so so few i think and the lesson i got was when i i somebody was so far away from the edge i could easily run to them because we always say don't play hero because statistically heroes lose okay so you don't run and grab them but this person was so far and they made a really rubbish effort to it and i thought well okay they're just they weren't they were just asking for help still i'm not ready to do it now but get me into a mental health unit that was the scenario i had and then two weeks later she jumped off a bridge and killed herself so it was a real lesson to say, don't ever be, uh, you know, sort of flippant about about these things. Um, but yeah, some of the stories they tell you when you're talking to them, and I'm getting information in my ear saying, yeah, you've got a two-year-old son. Okay, two-year-old, right, okay. Yeah, separated, 
dotes on the two-year-old. Right. So, and so I'm thinking, it's the, the gambles. You're not a psychologist, but you're saying, just think, two, you've got a two-year-old son. What are they going to think in years to come? And, you know, and I, I even, you know, is, and then you're sort of listening as to what happened to this guy, that he was 11, 12-year-old, raped. He was this, you know, um, gang raped and this, that, and the other, and then was on drugs and this, and he'd lost his partner and his son was taken away. And you're, in your mind, you're thinking, mate, Jesus, you know, wh- what can I say? I can't make it better. <laughs> you're just thinking, Jesus, if I was this guy, I'd probably be thinking about it, you know? And you can't, so you've got to think, look, you will look back in the future and be glad you didn't. That's all you can say. You can look for the future and you just hope it's right. But of course, then, you, because he was, he was so careless on the edge of the bridge, you knew that he was wanting it to happen, even though he maybe didn't at that time. And then it was like a child getting off a seat. You know, when they're, when they're standing on a chair and they're getting ready to jump off, it's that steadying themselves, ready to jump, and I knew it was happening. And uh, so, um, yeah, so it, 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 it's not a normal day at the office, is it, really? But then I was able to, like you, to compartmentalise that. I didn't have nightmares about it. I don't have flashbacks as things. I have night terrors as completely different stuff. But, um, but the only person who really does badly out of that is my wife, because I wake up in the morning not really remembering much of it. But she's had a sleepless night, you know, bless her. So uh, that doesn't really, I can't even say that affects me badly. But, yeah, I, I, I'm very lucky. I've got... Um, I've got through a, a, a few, and it's been the road traffic collisions, really, that have have done it, because these are ordinary people, and they were normal, and you realise, and even the guy that killed the six-year-old, you're looking across, and, and in the end, he didn't get prosecuted, because it was, basically, there had been a collision. He banged his head on the window, and he thought he was pushing his foot on the brake, and it was the accelerator. So this car careered through the hedge into a car park, and killed, with wheels still spinning, killed this six-year-old child. It was the most terrible circumstances. Um, And I'm looking at this guy who had a child who was the same age as the person he killed. And even worse, he was at an event to celebrate the child's birthday. So now you know this man who was just like an ordinary guy doing his best in the world, has a reminder every time his son has a birthday, you know, that he killed someone his age. How do you get over that? And I, I didn't think he was going to make, I was seriously concerned, I didn't think he was going to make the, had to be, have a, a trial. They decided a trial so that the prosecution could put their case and then decide whether there was one. And in a way, it was good closure for the family. Can't speak too much for them. But because it was aired, they could see the effort put into it, you know, um, post-mortem, the collision investigation, matching the evidence to, to actually confirm whether it was mechanical, whether it was medical, whether it was road surface, which there was a fault it, with the road surface, which really meant it needed to be redesigned slightly. And ultimately, it came down to a broken wing mirror, a broken door mirror, where somebody was pulling out, it was pulling right into this place, this quad world place, and the mirror was broken and they didn't see the car overtaking, which was the collision, which then led on to something else. And that was another lesson. It's like when you see cops saying, 
get your mirror fixed. <laughs> it's probably it's not, for quite a good reason. It's not only that, though, is it? Because I religiously look over my shoulder. Yeah. I'm not just because I'm a biker as well, but I do it. Oh, I know yeah. how, how yeah. easy it is for something to creep up. You check the mirror, you turn, and bang. And, and But I see so many people. I, in fact, Harry, I'd say the vast majority of drivers mm. will go through a green light just because it's green. Yeah. Don't yeah. take the time to think somebody might have jumped this light. Yeah, yeah. Somebody might be yeah. having a bad day. Somebody might be on a mm. bike and think, ah, it doesn't apply. And people will just see the green and drive. And I'm like, yeah. gosh, you didn't even consider. Yeah. Could have been someone going the wrong way down the street. Could have been anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and and could have been could have been a police car going through. And there's different levels of attention you tend to find your traffic your ARVs are uh, it's drum drummed into them but you are it's it's you're driving defensively so you can make really good progress and uh I got in trouble on a tweet once when I told you know it was a series of tweets and we were putting video on there and, but we traveled at 140 mile an hour regularly to get from A to B because we had vast areas to cover 999 shouts of over an hour sometimes you see um, but when it was safe to do so, you made good progress. And so, but yeah, so you, you, but you've got to, I've also seen some pretty dire examples um, in history where uh, panda cars have just got a little bit too overexcited and tends to be a little bit more panda cars, I suggest, because it's just less experience and less training. It's not to do them down and 99.9% of them brilliant. But I see the odd one going through red traffic lights far too fast. Red traffic light, if I'm on a massive pursuit as far as you're doing 140 mile an hour, red traffic light, five to 10 mile an hour max. Yeah. That's what I do. You'd be nuts to do anything different because of the person you just said. Mm-hmm. And one day in 30 years, you're going to get caught out. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so true, Chris. So true. And it's to drive defensively and just go fast when it's safe to do so. Um, but yeah, I, I put a tweet out saying this is what 140 mile an hour looks like, and it, it's on its own that tweet without the other two behind it. It it looked uh, it, it was it, it didn't look good. Oh, it's a front new papers. The local t- the local uh, radio were having discussions on a little mini Jeremy Vines on it, and you know <laughs> should they be going driving this fast? Oh, I think it's disgusting. They shouldn't be driving this fast. You know, it's, it's people who know nothing about the job or what what the training involves, but. Yeah, you took. I, I had to take that one on the chin, really. <laughs> wow! If someone had a gun to your child's head, would, do you want the police to drive fast, or do you want them to drive in the speed limit? It's well, this is it, and um, this is it. And there's, there's numerous road traffic collisions, and with the, the ARVs and with the VIP side of things as well. We were we were cannulating even, you know. So at one point, and so we had the defibs, we've got the oxygens, we've we've got the telex, the the um, bl- blood clotting agents. So, because for gunshot wounds, they're exactly the same really as a as a road traffic collision. You need to block the hole, fill them full of oxygen, and um, you know. And the best, the the, the what's the, the best best medicine is diesel. They described, isn't it? And then get them the hell out of there to to a hospital. Um, 
But yeah, and that's the, that's the other side I really actually enjoyed. I always think I was a frustrated medic because I really enjoyed the fact that responsibility. When you could go and you would turn up, single crewed, I was single crewed because I was an operational firms commander, like a team leader thing, and uh, with a few other add-ons. So it meant that I, the other guys were the double crewed. And when I say guys, I mean girls because we did we do have girls and uh, female sergeant arm response has taken over my role now, cracking, and um, and they have to fit exactly the same standards. So once you're there, you've made it on merit. There's no question about it. So there's that's the good thing as well. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was good fun. I diverse again. I di- digress again. I always I'm good at that. I always do that. You have to bring me back, Chris. So I, no, can we I've come got, back to I've, what you were talking about? I've got something to ask, and I think you're the perfect guy to ask it, Harry, because I'm an ob- observer. I almost said observationalist then, that, that, because I make I make words up on the podcast. <laughs> I'd have gone with it. Yeah, I'm an observationalist. <laughs> I'm an observationalisticist. <laughs> getting stupid now, but so you're getting greedy with the nest, nest, nest. No, but now. I'm, I'm also. <laughs> You know, I'm also a man of uh, a certain age, so I have the ability to look back 50 yeah. years, right? Yeah. Not everybody who's 50 has that mm. ability. Some people, their brain goes with the times, which yeah. is why you see 50-year-olds sending you a text message that's like eight pages long, and you want to <laughs> shake them and say, grow the fuck up. This is not how we do things right yeah yeah pick up the phone somebody yes and it's so annoying when it's when 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 you're trying to get to somewhere say and you may be a bit late we've not quite got the direction yeah and and you you phone you know you you obviously in your car you 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 hit your dial mine's automatic so i just say phone so and so right yeah it goes to their answer machine and then you get a text, which you can't answer it, 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 it <laughs> when, when you're driving anyway. So yeah. You've got to stop. Then you stop it. It's like, you know, what do you want? Or or, or some long-winded... Ex- yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm, I'm digressing now, mate. But, my, but you'll find I- you get a much more positive replies if you phone because people feel that empathy with you. And so you can tell them things. But if you send a text, it gives them time to say no. I think, I think what I'm getting to, Harry, is I don't think a lot of people my age will see what I'm going to explain now. And, and right. that is, when I was young, and this is drummed into me by my dad, it's like, if you're at a traffic light and an emergency vehicle yeah. has got the siren on and the lights flashing, obviously got, if it's an ambulance, the person in the back is, is effectively mm. probably dying. You get out of the way, right? Mm. Mm obviously with all the precaution, but you get out of the way. That's why they've got their lights flashing in it. And it always used to be the case instantaneously. Every car would just pull off off the road, right? What I'm seeing now, and I'm going to pre-answer my own idea and say it's because of fear and intimidation and this whole agenda we've had put on us to make us scared to have our own thoughts just like in a workplace where you're doing this rubbish job and 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 you just take all this nonsense from a boss because you you know you're so afraid of losing your right yeah i see this situation now where the ambulance has managed to get past like nine cars who've all just pulled off the road Mm. 
And then there's one idiot stuck at the red light doing this in their mirrors. Yeah. And the ambulance is like, the, the noise is telling you, get out yeah. of my way. And they sit, sit and wait for the light to change. And I'm not so much, uh, you know, I'm not frustrated at the individual. It's the yeah. fact that we've been turned into such a bunch of pussies. Um, I just wanted I, to get your, your yeah, observations I, on that. When, when I used to take an attachment out, uh, it used to be someone from control room or something, we'd take them out. Um, and sometimes a civilian and we'd go on a blue light run and they would be, why are they not going out? Why are they not? Why? How do you put up with this? And I'd be like, yeah, you just have to smile and wave. One day they, they eventually look in the rear view mirror and they, or what happens is they panic and they freeze and they don't know what to do. And so they'll stop anywhere and they'll stop between an island and the side of the road or a brow of a hill or on a bend or so when you realize and i don't think a lot of it is malicious or really really stupid i think they just freeze a little bit i think there's a lot of it seems to be maybe we just hear about them more but this is what i i put in my book about um anxiety and depression i think because it was and i expected a backlash from it but ask any copper or medical or paramedic they tend to think or teacher it's so relied upon now that you're unusual if you don't suffer from anxiety and depression and i think that's a travesty for people who genuinely have serious anxiety and depression mm -hmm. instead of being worried and sad uh, which are natural emotions and so and that i'd come across that every day but i think there are people who are shall we say not used to confrontation anymore they're not used to decision making and so when they're doing the same journey in their car for the 150th time and something different happens they can't cope with it and so they freeze and they just drive at that normal speed and you think okay you can pull over there no okay you're not pulling over there and that's how i do it and people go are you crazy why are you not shouting at them and this that and the other is because it happens so often. and i think because it happens so often i don't think it was an individual malicious act or really so i think it's psychology somewhere i think the human person some people just react in a certain way and that they don't necessarily want to act like that but they can't decision make they can't react to a different set of circumstances and yes you get your odd idiot who goes you know who who is like that but there's a really good thing out at the moment actually that that's going around they've done a youtube thing um i did put it on my twitter feed and it just tells people from the start like, let's nice and fresh, this is what you should do in these circumstances, in these circumstances. And ironically, with the red traffic light, they say, don't break the law, don't go. Now, what's nice is if you, you're at the junction and you can just nip across the line slightly to allow something through, that's great. But we don't, what you'll probably find is the, we would put the lights and the sirens off at red traffic lights, turn them off completely. And we'd sit there like that after being absolutely hammering because the last thing we want is to push the first row forward because if they're in a collision mm. it's the copper who's at fault you know it's it, there wouldn't be any blame put on that that person who went over that line so but i always say there's no black and white rule is if the junction is wide enough and deep enough and open enough for you to just go four feet over it to allow that's usually enough enough space do you know what i mean then, then do it. Common sense, isn't it? That, that's nice. Don't get that much, do you really? Uh, well, that's the other thing, isn't it? When you've driven 
abroad a lot. Mm. So say, for example, you're driving in Pakistan. As you do. It's, yeah, well, I've, <laughs> I've, 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 I've driven to India and back, so. Blimey, you made it. Yeah, I drove a 12-ton British Leyland coach. Wow, with, uh, right. 17, 17 volunteer workers on board. And yeah. here's the thing, I'm quite an... I'm, I'm not. I'm never going to say I'm a good driver because if you notice anyone that says they're a good driver, they're always shit. You know, <laughs> the fact they feel need the need to say I'm a yeah, good driver is obviously yeah. a defence against all the people that told him they're rubbish, right? But when you're in Pakistan, you you have to be able to be going down, uh, not so much a dual carriageway because they don't tend to have many, but but a main road. So you're doing you know say on the bus you're doing 60 you have to be prepared to see a vehicle coming at 60 on your side of the yeah of the the barrier you know mm. and yeah yeah you panic you don't start swearing you don't get on the horn you just go like this yeah <laughs> yes. let them go by and then you go on your journey because yeah. it means either they know a shortcut that they just had to nip down this side of the yeah carriageway, yeah or yeah. this side of the carriageway is so bad it's just easier to drive and yeah of course because you expect it because it's completely normal it, it there's no fuss made the same in thailand thailand yeah. back in the 90s you didn't have traffic lights in bangkok you just had junk huge junctions yeah, yeah. and everybody just made their way yeah that one guy go that guy go you go and it was none of this this kind of drama that we have in this country where everyone is so indoctrinated into follow the white line look at the light and, and yeah. none of this like i mean there's yeah. a big thing in the southwest drivers seem to think it's that they're duty bound when they're going past a cyclist to not mm. go across the white line yeah you see them squeezing by and, and risking, yeah. risking yeah. the cyclist's life yeah when, and of course, there's an exemption for a cyclist to do that to go over a solid white line. Um, I didn't. I didn't even know know that. Not. I mean, mm. I would do that anyway because I'm not going to put yeah. guys li life at risk. And, and certainly, if the carriageway's clear. But I mean, when it's just like a dotted white line. Yeah. They yeah. still got this mentality yeah. of following lines and 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 not. But then that that's another reason you see why so many people die in their cars is because it's their office it's their home they're, they're used to that environment so if you're standing on the side of the motorway or even worse a dual carriageway because you've got no armco you've got no <coughs> yeah um and you and you're standing there at night in the rain and you've got hgvs and cars coming across and you don't and you're in a broken down vehicle on that side why do people not just go to lane two no they pass you about that and the whole thing shakes mm -hmm. and it's um again once you you take new you know uh, inexperienced cops there or whatever it is an intimidating place because you're relying on them not deviating just slightly and then wiping you out and i knew that if ever i was going to meet my demise it wouldn't be by my armed response work and uh, or being stabbed or whatever like that it was far more likely to be taken out by a m Mrs. Smith um, from number three, Arcadia Street, because, and apologies to Mrs. Smith if she lives there, but um, is because that's that was the most dangerous side of things, really. 
especially when a lot of the time, again, I was working on my own. So I'd have to stop the vehicle, get out. You're always facing the traffic, chucking the signs out. I've got my body cam out thinking at least, at least this will video my demise. <laughs> I hope it's, I hope it looks effective. I, I, I just hoped I didn't get taken out by a little three-wheeler car or something. I needed it to be a proper car, you know? <laughs> Go out with style. <laughs> that would be, I knew that would make people laugh at my funeral. <laughs> if it was a rubbish car, a Fiat yeah. Panda took Tangy out. But, you no, make, was... make, make it onto one of those second-rate, repetitive TV, <laughs> TV car crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It probably wouldn't do that if I died in fairness, but then I wouldn't really care by then. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and so I, you know, generally, I just don't think, and that's where the boring thing about education comes in. That's why it's actually a really good video this is putting out. Um, because it just, uh, because people aren't really sure, can we do that? A police car shouldn't be, they wouldn't overtake you on a solid white line. Again, they'll turn their, it said on the video, they'll turn their sirens off. I've turned my sirens and lights off. Um, and then the clue is when they come on again, it's like, now we're expecting, here's an opportunity for you to stop now, you know, to, to pull it over. It goes the other way as well, because I got pulled over once and it was on a, on a you know, uh, very fast A road with no, yeah. with no, nowhere to put, you know, no, no, oh, yeah. not, e- not even like a verge you could put over onto. Mm. And so um, I saw this police officer behind me and I, I, I waved like that. And then I drove on for another, say, 400, yeah, 400 meters. And I just took the first left to get, it was, yeah. a, I think it was a dual carriageway, right? Yeah. When he came up to me, why didn't you stop? Why didn't you stop? Right. I'm like, right. why would I stop there when I can stop here? But yeah, yeah, fair enough. And it it is, um, yeah. I mean, it depends where you are in things like this. And and yeah, there's more people killed on the hard shoulder on a mo- on a motorway than on the actual three lanes. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that's interesting to know as well as to bear in mind. But can we, can we you also that then? Sorry, can we explore that because there's this thing, isn't there, where you can be parked on the hard shoulder mm. and I, I don't know, let's say a juggernaut, no disrespect to yeah. juggernaut drivers who are actually excellent. I, I learned that when I ran the length of the country, the truck drivers, oh. they're good. No, they you know their job. Crazy things like that, Chris. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're not into drama. They're not into like yeah. amateur dramatics. It's their job and they do it yeah. very prefer. They see you running down a carriageway. They know you can't, that you've got, you, yeah. there's no, you know, they're not going to force you on, 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 on. They just pull out around you. Then matey boy, you you know, your, your, your normal road user, can we say, and this is obviously not everybody. Oh, they get so angry. They get so angry that you dare step on their road and despite yeah. the other carriageway being completely empty yeah they literally mm. pass you harry like that yeah yeah i told you <laughs> yeah um yes my friend mike's uh following in my footsteps at the moment and running from john and groats to land's end and i i know he's already experiencing what i'm saying yeah. it is frightening what yeah. was this? What's this thing where there's so many accidents on the hard shoulder? You, you if you pull over, yeah. something can come up. Because basically, if you're thinking about, it, and this is why I mean, smart motorways were really criticised as well. Um, and because we didn't have them in our force, I, I really, 
I was just going on what the public were hearing as well, so I couldn't really comment on it much. But basically, if you consider your so your you're uh, driving behind a, a big truck, for example, and you start breaking down or you need to go to the center reservation, you've got a flat tire. People don't draw back, get a view, and then move across. What they do is they move straight across, but of course there's another truck parked there, or there's a car parked there, or you know, because you they don't or they don't leave themselves enough space to move across to to then see enough view in front of them that they're able to stop safely. And when you think of the millions of cars that are on these motorways, um, that is, uh, you know, that that's a big one. And people are not used to it. They, they sort of, they're driving along. And then even if it's not involving them, they see something on the hard shoulder and they go, what's that? Oh, um, they're doing so many hundred feet per second now, you know, they're, they're careering down the motor. And they, before they know it, they've gone past it. So if there's something, there's debris in the road, then they'll overreact. And then they'll career into the, the, you know, sort of hard shoulder where there's already a collision. How many collisions have I been to where a collision occurred and then a collision occurred into that collision mm. because of the distractions and things like that. So that's why it's, um, I, I think, and we've had, I've got, I remember a police car getting absolutely flattened by a post office HGV once. And it was because it was warm weather that the officers were out and they confessed that if it was pouring down with rain, this was quite a while ago, they would have been sat in that patrol car. And of course, they had rear lights on. Um, but the post office, when they, he fell asleep and just guided across, and it was happened to be the police car there. Oh, and it absolutely mullered it. It was as flat as a pancake. Um, so sometimes it's really bad, bad luck. But you can, people say, well, you could get knocked over by a bus, but that's why we use a zebra crossing. You can avoid being run over by a bus, can't you? So you can reduce your chances. Mm-hmm. So over the other side of the armco, up the bank, that's the safe place to be. And if you're broken down, you're sat in your car. Every one of those cars passing could be the next one that takes you out, you know? And you're not going to know much about it, in fairness, probably, you know, because it will concertina the car all the way up to the back seats at least, you know, mm. and your body's not going to, it's not designed to take those forces, really. So, yeah, it's a few of those. I think another two issues I have on the, especially on the motorway, is that when you're keeping a safe stopping distance. Yeah. Um, because you know you need it, probably from previous experience, but, yeah. you know, you, you seriously, those stopping distance are there for a reason, right? And you're, you know, you might be in the outside lane, but the reason you're this far back from the car in front is you're keeping a stopping distance, right? You're still mm. doing 70 and passing the other traffic, and this idiot comes up behind you and then just sits on your bumper. Yeah. Yeah. And it's well, like, at least you know your insurance claim will be okay because as long as what they can do is they push you into the other car. But um, if you've left enough space, I when I'm in a dodgy situation, when you think actually traffic's slowing a lot now and, or whatever, and you've got people wah, past you, I will just, in my civilian car, just hold right back. Because I know if they shunt right into the back of me, I'm not going to go in the big vehicle in front of me. At least yes. that proves that I was driving within the distance I could see to be clear. You know, and, and so, yeah, you just go a bit. So at least if a collision occurs, you're going at a slower speed as well. You know, yes. there's, there's less, less forces involved. And the other thing is the, the single biggest cause of accident in the UK, probably the world, it has to be 
driving with excessive speed for the conditions. Yeah. That's know, it. It's excessive. I, I'm a biker as well. I've ridden a bike all my life, um, commuted through all weathers. I had a ZZR 1200 I've got at the moment. Had the 1100 before, the CBR 1000 before that. So, and yeah, I've been to a fair few motorbike uh, fatalities. I think probably about 20 of them, I guess. Um, and I wouldn't be riding it if I didn't think I had half a chance of staying alive. Uh, I would listen to bikers who go knee down around the bend and go, well, it wasn't my fault. And I'm thinking, but it's not a racetrack. Therefore, you should expect diesel. You should expect that tractor. You should accept, expect an obstruction, a drain cover, whatever in that in that road. And so I do ride very defensively. Um, I always say I know my bike goes up to 70 miles an hour very fast. And after that, I have no idea. But, uh, <laughs> but it's... Um, but uh, yeah, I... I have a very healthy respect with my motorbike. It slightly scares me every time I get on it, which is probably a good thing. Well, it's that thing. When you see a biker go into the side of a car, yeah. clearly they were doing 70 or 80 because the dink in the car, it's yeah. almost cartoon-like. You see, here's the thing. That's To me, that's not the car's fault. Okay, the car didn't look well, you know, but A... You're not supposed to expect a bike coming coming at 80 on a public road, right? Mm. B, A, B, right? But B, B is as a biker, you should know to slow down to a speed where if the car doesn't see you, you can safely stop. You can't just, you, on a bike, you haven't got that gamble that he might be pulling out. Mm. He, you don't have it. You have to no. slow down enough so that if that yeah. person hasn't seen you and they pull out, and yeah. which is their fault because obviously they they you know they yeah, haven't yeah. Checked, checked. Probably yeah. I, I think I'm probably check about five times before I pull out of a, you know five, five times probably the minimum I I, I yeah. I, well anyway <laughs> yeah. anyway but but it's that thing isn't it? it? The bikers the community will tell you the cars at fault. Yeah, I would say no. You're you're responsible for your your life. You. You've got to, like, uh, like a lot of things, I think there's a lot of, yeah, the guy comes out, he's, he's a fault, he's come out, he's not, but if you're, like you say, you're behind a bend and some of these junctions, you've got to think, right, it's clip right, I've got to go now, if you're a car, and you've got a bike, knee down, doing 90 miles an hour, they're not helping themselves, are they? And at some point, that car had to go out, and they chose their spot. If the car was, if it was on a, a long straight, again, people misjudge the speed, so... Yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to, um, you know, I, I see bikes. How many bikes have I actually picked up and I could have ridden off again, but the guy was, it was a fatality because he just slid along and his helmet hit the curb and there's a big dent, curb dent in his helmet and he's dead instantly. Um, he slid along, he would have been fine. He was on the grass bank and there was a street light there and he hit the street light and killed him instantly. So you don't have these things on a racetrack. So you might be the best person. Knee down, wow, on the racetrack. When you slide off, you might sprain your thumb. You might, you know, it, it, the chances are you'll probably be okay. Um, although it was a good one on TV recently. Luckily, they were all right, wasn't it? But Jesus. Um, what um, was that, sorry? Uh, with, um, there was one where the bike, and I'm not, I don't follow bike racing, Um Who's one of the best bikers in the world? Remind me. Oh, Mainz, okay, right. Yes. No, I've I'm, I'm been a, haven't watched the racing for. A couple oh, right. Well, basically, 
the bike uh, went over and then flew at head height, missing another biker's uh, on the racing track, missing his head by a nano. And it, the bike just went <laughs> straight past. So there's always going to be instances, even on a racetrack, where, and it was just, I know it was fine. They were fine sort of thing, I believe, but you could tell they were shaken, really shaken. This was a biggie. This was, they got away with this one. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think you've got to, as long as you ride defensively and uh, you you sort of give as much chance for yourself as possible. But, yeah, I mean, fatalities have gone down a lot, I think, because, uh, but they're still in the thousands. They're still in the jumbo jet loads, you know. Uh, if a jumbo jet crashed into this country several times a year, you'd be pretty alarmed by it and you'd think we'd have to do something about it. And, um, but, um, it's only an accident, isn't it? Well, those things happen to other people. So that, that, that's what, one of the reasons actually why I did this learn to live thing. So if anyone who's got kids out there or grandkids who are, uh, at, uh, there's a national thing, which is done locally, but lots of local ones all over the country, but, but, um, bring emergency services in and they talk very candidly and openly. And there's an overall video, behind that brings them through the situation of of road traffic collision so anyone who's just about to drive start driving or is being driven because their boyfriend or girlfriend of the driver so that's sort of 16 to 18 year old <clears throat> they do this thing and it has um and that's where um there's a black and white video of me on youtube somewhere talking about a road traffic collision learn to learn, if you search learn to live learn to live one word and it, it just tell a story of a, a, an actual account and it gets into the, the hearts of these people. And then you bring a mother on who tells about her son who was killed, you know. And it, all the text screens disappear and, and they're actually listening intently. And you, you have fair few tears at the end of things. And, it, and there's a longevity over that as well. Ooh. Amazon's arrived. Um, now that's as Arthur will probably kick off now. So apologies for that. But there you go. Arthur, come here. <laughs> um, so, and that is so much better, isn't it, than just chucking a ticket out? Chucking a, that's domestic life for you, Chris. Chucking a ticket out to, to people for speeding is get to the root of the problem first. Get to when they're young. So they think, yeah, this could happen to you. And that woman there looks just like your mum. And she's crying. She's got a teddy bear in her hand. And there's the picture of a 21-year-old son behind her. Handsome lad, strapping lad, who died not 20 miles from that place. Do you know what I mean? That, that's oh, where it really gets Exactly. Sense. When you see people doing 90 miles an hour on the motorway in fog. Yeah. And, and sheeting rain. Yeah. You instinctively... They've never had an accident. No. Because if they had... No, and, and in fact, it's when I go to an accident that a collision that involves a young person, the mother and father are like, oh, God, they've only been driving six months. And, and I'm saying, look, they're unhurt. They've trashed their car. This is the best thing that could have happened yes. to them. Yes. Because now they realise how vulnerable they are, and it can happen, and it hurts. <laughs> so they will be far more cautious than they would have been by just getting away with it. I don't recommend everyone has a collision in their first six months, but um, but it, it doesn't, it, if it doesn't do any harm, it doesn't do any harm. <laughs> you know. Let's talk about the arm response work, because that's, yeah. that's um, for many, uh, would be the, 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 the high point of their career, I'm 
I'm guessing, or certainly mm. something you'd build towards that responsibility and that level of training. And, and it's almost where you go from, I don't want to say police into like a military, but, but certainly yeah. a, a, tactical, a tactical role. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did, how did that come at? At what point did that come in your career? Um, I, when you join the job uh, and I, I started off in Torbay in my probation and I looked and it was very much the guy, you either went to traffic or CID and in Devon Cornwall, because we have less gun crime, we have fair, we have a lot more than other than people think um, because a lot of it happens at no, We have county lines, we have motorways leading into our two counties and there's cities here. So there's enough coming down here to keep us a little bit busy, but we also, and that's why we dual rolled into traffic side of things. And I thought, and I remember there was a post office job pre-planned in Torquay uh, and it would have been about 25, 30 years ago. And I remember the guys in the cars with the MP5 strapped across them and they went off to do this job and they caught the robbers and it was all on the paper and it was, I was thinking, oh, that looks cool. That looks cool. And I wondered what it was that attracted me. And it was the real cliche because you realise when you're in the police, it's police family. And I find military are very similar. You, you, you know, you, a military guy could talk to a copper in a pub and they'd probably get on pretty well. You know, it, it, the same sort of ethos. They don't mind getting a bit dirty and wet sometimes. You know, they don't mind pushing themselves a little bit. Um, and they have probably a similar practical view on life a little bit more practical than the some views that are being thrown around at the moment sort of thing um Mike, can i chip in one thing yeah me? go on it's also many of them like i wanted to be a boot neck <laughs> my, my mum wouldn't let me so i joined the police yeah well <laughs> I've i always so say so many people there now i know but <laughs> it's just something you hear an awful, well, awful lot. Devon and Cornwall, we had a lot of bootlegs because it's all based down here. We've got Plymouth, we've got Limston, that side of thing. We've got lots of, of military and we call it the golden triangle between, you know, Torquay, Plymouth and Exeter. And that's the most busy, you know, where the people are and it's very military. So we have a lot and, and they're good to bring in because they've usually, they've seen a bit of life and they've seen, they've, They've probably had the odd domestic themselves. They've probably had started a business and, and had difficulty in business. So they can relate to public when they're dealing with their own problems. But so anyway, I applied for traffic and I failed it. Um, I was absolutely gutted. I thought I could just get in on enthusiasm alone. And, uh, and then I applied again and I got it. So then I thought, wow, really, it's firearms. I, I got into firearms initially, first of all. It was when you used to get your guns out of the safe and go to the job. And by that time, it was pretty much over. And I, I felt very important because I had a pager, you know. Um, and I had the NATO. Do you remember those blue woolen jumpers? And there'd be the V-necks with the pads on the backs and the black gloves. And the cool as anything. But firearms had ring. They had a, a round neck. So they knew you were firearms, you know. It was it was the bee's knees when you're a 24-year-old copper in Torquay, which was then. And um, but uh, yeah, so I and then I've, I finally got in, but then it's that it's that course and it's tough and it is really tough and there's so much involved because we can't rely on mutual aid. So if we get a situation where 
there's a hostage and we can we have a lot of mental health down here we have an awful lot of firearms if somebody wants a firearm they can get one around here mainly because of the farmland and they usually know someone who's got knows someone who owns a shotgun few shotguns so if suddenly a farmer or somebody finds that their their wife is having an affair with this guy the call we get is yeah um my my husband he's making his way to my boyfriend he's got two shotguns in the boot and he's going to do him in sort of thing or we get that real mental health situation where they take the family hostage as such um and but it so they so we have to do building entries it's two three four man entry and i say man i bring women into that because we do have women in our in our uh, armed response units um and it's vehicle interceptions as well and all circumstances and it's all at different risk levels so it's whether we think there's okay we need to filter it slightly because we think they could be involved we're looking for a silver ford focus in an armed robbery and we see one we're not going to deal with every silver ford focus in the way of um of if it was silver ford focus abc 123 we're looking for and then that will be dealt with because we we've got to make it proportional you know, proportionate. But then we've got to be prepared to step it up once we realise it's the the focus we want sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, there's open ground searching and then there's the terrorist side of things. Uh, it was completely different uh, again. Um, and these things are changing all the time. So it's an awful lot. And if you fail, and then you have to, in Devon and Cornwall, you have to be an advanced driver as well. So you get the snakes and edges. You pass, 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 pass. Fail the advance, off, gone. And there's some good, good people that have lost from that. But it's, it's such an important thing. The buck stops here department, I call it. And the thing that attracted me is that teamwork is boring and cliche. But in the military, you knew the people around you you could trust. And you knew you would put your lives in for them. And you knew when you've got a red dot on somebody um, and all it takes, and you have been given the responsibility by the chief constable, by the government, that I give you permission to shoot that person dead if you think the circumstances dictate. That, nobody else has more responsibility than that in the whole force. Mm. So that's quite a responsibility. And that's why with the, the, the training, people moan at the College of Policing and whatever, but the College of Policing have made sure that there's this corporate training. So I work, I could go, uh, or, or could go up to Manchester, London, and work alongside them. Um, and there would be very little difference, okay? Um, totally different sort, the, all the procedures and things are the same. So then I did VIP, um, VIP protection. So that's a suit, a Glock, royalty, government officials. I'd go up to London once, twice a year sometimes to, to the do, conferences. Um, po podcasters? Say again? Would you do podcasters? Podcasters. Would you, could you look after me, for example? Oh, yeah, podcasters. Chris, you don't need it, mate. You'd be looking after me. I'd be looking. <laughs> yeah. you'd, I, I could see you, you've got a steely glare that you could hey, use. If you see the way my boy knocks me around and he's only five, five <laughs> Harry, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. But that's the thing. And you know, Zainab, the best thing I had, I mean, I always said I could hide behind a Glock. I had G36, um, uh, MP5 still for, for VIP. But um, we have stun grenades, we have smoke, we have the whole the whole caboodle. But the best thing you had was your gob. And, you know, if you could really sort of 
put terror in them, looking, you look like a military, you know, assassin, which is part of it. If I turned up in a pink tutu, I probably wouldn't get quite the reaction that I need from that individual who nine times out of 10 would go, yeah, yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right. Because right. they know that you, they know that you're trained that you will shoot without hesitation if it requires. You're not going to bluff. Whereas they're thinking, are the rounds in this blank? Do I know that? You know, are they, do I have the guts to shoot? You know, and there are people who would, but they know when a copper comes around the corner, he's armed. They know that. And I've been in a situation where I've realized that the training takes over. It is that this is like a scenario. I'm threat assessing. Where am I in that threat asset? Can I bring it down? I've given them a chance. Have we gone past that line in the sand, so to speak? Or have I, is it raising, raising, raising? slack off the trigger is it is it to the point now because if they can just go like that shoot i ain't gonna why should i give them the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. so and i would never do that um so that's the other thing when people say you know oh, do you think you would shoot you know something absolutely unequivocal because you know when the time is there so it's, it's simple it's when they are aiming at me or somebody else then that's where armed police know what to do. It's simple rules, really. Not complicated. Gosh, it's... I'm thinking of a situation we had in Northern Ireland where this car was coming towards me. I was already made re ready because a sniper's bullet had been across my face. We're, we're out in the countryside in Belfast, which was yeah. sort of unusual patrol. We legged it through this field me and um, the guy in, in my book, he's called Jock, and uh, we broke out onto this road and there was a car parked on, on the left and his light, lights were on. And I looked at Jock and went, and I was just willing to go for it. You know, it was, mm. it was just, here's a chance to do our job. Yeah. And Jock's like, mm, could be a come on, Chris, right? I, the car could be full of explosives. Right. I was still willing to say, well, maybe it is, maybe, but, and as we had that, which is literally a momentary exchange, mm. the, car, the car pulled away and dro drove off. So, and let's just remember it for the sake of the, the scenario, it, it, it might have been someone hunting. You, 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 yeah. you know, you, you, you don't know that, but we wanted yeah. to at least run up to the driver and apprehend him, right? So we're already yes. made ready. We'd still have had the safety catch on, but only because you can click it off instantaneously. This car disappeared, and then 30 seconds later, headlights came straight towards us in the other direction. And I'm sort of looking at the same thing's going through our mind, so I just stop this car, thinking, "Is this the same car?" Yeah. That for some reason that you're, it's all happening too quick for you to work out. Is it? But is it the same car coming back? And as I stopped it, and I had my rifle just pointed at the driver, safety catch off, and he didn't stop, and oh. he didn't stop, and he didn't stop, and he did, and then, but the reason he wasn't stopping is he wasn't really paying that much attention as yeah. you probably wouldn't be at three in the morning on a country road yeah. and he didn't expect to see a serviceman 
stopping his vehicle. Yeah, yeah. And when he saw me, it was instant, you, you know, instantly I could see that now he's, and he slammed the brakes on, yeah. the fear in his face. And it's li- it's little signs like that that yeah. you, you obviously have to be aware of because you've got to take the responsibility. And that's a, it's a very good point because we know in our response that uh, that microsecond of a decision to pull that trigger will be analysed for at least five years, even in civil court, uh, by the best barristers. And it's who wins on the day as well. It's not necessarily what's right and wrong. So it's a court of law. It's not necessarily a court of justice. Um, It's who's the better guy on the day. And if you've got truth and honesty on your side, uh, then that's a bloody good help, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, um, but yeah, that, that's the thing. You have to put that to the back of your mind. Um, and the nearer I got to the end of my service, I thought more like, and people say, you're going to give up your, your team leader type thing, or your, um, I, I was a farms tactics advisor as well. So on some jobs, say in depth of Cornwall, I'd have operational farms commanders down there. I would do the farms tactics advice with the boss up, up in the other the other end, and vice versa, sort of thing. And that was, was just as fascinating, to be honest, than being on the front in a hedge with a gun on a house, sort of thing. Is because you're you're really thinking, right? Okay, what other options? There are these processes. I've sort of swallowed the manual, and I would give options to the boss, and it was up to the boss which ones he decided. So he was a tactical farms commander, so he was trained as well. Um, and then, but it was quite good when we said, okay, so we've got two vehicles, what associates have we got? What do we know about that individual, about the place he lives, friends, vehicles? Okay, and so you start getting this, this net going far and wide. And then you think, okay, well, there's the individuals, but what about they've got school kids? So what if he goes to the school and then takes the kids out, or even worse? So let's, we need someone to the school. Proportionality, okay, we don't need armed, but we can get some to the school and take them to a safe area, then right, we've mitigated that. And so you're thinking about these things all the time. And then you then you get to an address, and you, we find an address, and right, units going in, yeah, going in, okay, and you're waiting like that. Fingers on the thing, going, wait, wait. And then you get no injuries, no damage, two in custody. And you're going, oh, yes, and it's so satisfying. So satisfying. So I always I always stayed away from that bit for a while because I thought, oh, I want to be in the front end. I want to be doing it at the front. And I would do just as much as that. So I had the best of both worlds, really. But then, of course, I, I was the pursuit tactics advisor as well. And that's just as much risk. So I would have a pre-planned job or an ongoing one. And I would look at the situation and then give options as to what they – what how they should carry it out, or whether they should just leave it. Look, we, we know the guy. He's got no insurance. He's disqualified from driving. We'll pop him a summons in the post, right? However, if he's driving around like an absolute idiot every night and he could kill someone tomorrow, we could be asked, well, why didn't you actually try to stop him last night? And the same for drink drivers. So you've got to really look at the whole situation and say, right, okay, but how do we stop him? Okay, we'll just put... Um, uh, you know, a, sting, a stinger before. So if he drives out the pub car park, he's stung straight away, preemptive, right? Let's not get into that pursuit first. What's the point? It's not nearly as fun, but it's no, not fun when you're stuck in the 
gripping the rails, so to speak, and they're saying to the, the tactics advisor and even the units, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you just blow it out? Why didn't you just drive around the pub car park so that they went, oh, they're roundabout tonight, I'll, take, I'll walk home, you know, because that can often put it off till tomorrow. If he's doing that, they're doing that regularly and they'll do it tomorrow. But we know he's here now. So let's see if we can contain them now the safest way possible. So I think the public don't quite realise sometimes there's a lot involved and this is going on constantly, all night, all day, all over the force and it's national. They're dealt with in the same way. Mm. But it means that I've passed and failed a few courses and had to do second time round. And that is just as much the lesson to, that I say to new recruits or people applying for the police. So you failed. So what? Give it another go. I applied for the police the first time and I didn't get in. You know, and don't think that'll be the last time you fail and you didn't achieve what you want. So you'll either be bitter and twisted and go away going, oh, the whole thing's set, it's rigged up, you know, whatever. Or you give it another go. And you're, you've got knowledge the second time around you go for it. So... Yeah, and I think that's why it's quite rare to be in firearms as long as I was for over 25 years on, on our response to that side of things. But in order to drive the nice fast X5, wear the guns and play paintball, you know, um, you had to do the hard work too. And the stress, it's just constant assessment, 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 assessment. And even if it's not a formal tick box, whether you pass or not, even if it's just training, you don't want to look a dick in front of your colleagues, you know, mm. and therefore it's a constant pressure, you know, and I'm sure that that reflect you, you'll probably, um, uh, you, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize some of that from your training. You just don't want to look the idiot because you've got it wrong. And it's well, unlikely you, but it's the flat you're going to get as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. you've got to be careful. You don't do something that you have to live with your whole career, especially if you've been a dick. Yeah. Um, could be for anyone wondering what that might be a one of my best buddies left his weapon behind in norway yeah. he stopped for a smoke smoke break the whole company was lined out over probably two kilometers or something and um when we all got up and moved off there was one rifle lent lent against lent yeah. snow, snow and there was a sole solitary figure skiing back the other way as oh. fast as he could oh. <laughs> put it this way he he didn't. He didn't get weekend leave to go downhill skiing that weekend. <laughs> and I think but, you know, you hear about these things with protection officers leaving them on toilet systems or something. When you're doing it, you realise how simple that can be, and that's why you have to be so methodical. And I, if ever I was in the uh, toilet um, in a cubicle, I I put my holster on the inside door handle so I couldn't get out without moving it. You know, um, you you had to do stuff like that because to everyone else, when they're picking up their Bosch drill or something or their whatever, and they've oh, lost my drill. Because if you're not careful, it becomes a routine piece of equipment. And don't get me wrong, when you're when you're using it, uh, it suddenly becomes, it's like getting on that ZZR motorbike again. It's that healthy respect. It's that fear mm-hmm. of the only time these things get you into trouble is when you're handling them. Right, so it's yes. the best, best kept in the holster as much as possible. Um, it's when you're unloading. Oh, for example, uh, every beginning of every shift, every end in the armory, same routine. Ching, 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 ching. Right, concentration, no talking. Right, magazine, racket, 
right, ready to go. There's one up there, ready to go. There's no safeties. Um, the holsters, there's safeties in them, so people can't just take them out. So um, there's various ones, and they're, they're good, luckily. But when I was at a job, and you've had a long job, and you've got one in custody, and you're in the back of the car, and you're taking the magazine out of the G36, so what you're meant to do is take the magazine out and then rack it three times, because there should only be one in there. Um, and therefore, if three rounds come out, you go, whoa, okay, I haven't taken the magazine out. It's that, it's that fatigue, change of routine. And it happened to me once in 25 years. But that's why the safety procedures are there as they are, is because I was tired. We never, we never had, when I served, we didn't have that. And hence, a surprising amount of, I'm not going to say m Marines, because this wasn't unique to it, it but, but say mm. in Northern Ireland, you'd get, people from all units come and use your unloading bay. And because yes. the routine at the time was cock and lever back, check the weapon to see there's not a round in, you know, in the mm. chamber or even lying inside the, the housing. Yeah. And then Ford, people who weren't so um, on the ball would just go through the routine and go, Ch -ch <clears throat> bang, yeah. Uh, I forgot yeah. the actual, like, yeah. looking and checking the, the, the magazines. Yeah, I, but I think these things develop because I had someone do an ND next to me, and it's quite loud because normally when you're training, you have these ear, ear defenders on. And, of uh, course, I'm just there, and he's gone, bang! And I'm like, all right, okay, I'll just check myself, right? Uh, okay. And, it, again, it was change of routine for them at, the, at that time. But, yeah, I think these procedures come in. We, the police get a lot of our systems from the military. Um, because they're doing it all the time. And and that's where our medical stuff comes from, special forces a lot. That's why we were the first ones to go back to tourniquets. Even before paramedics went back to tourniquets, they were grumbling because the information was there. But we were, we went uh, um, with special forces, what's going to happen in Iraq and around. And so a lot of the, sorry, uh, a lot of the building entries were, of course, not up to the standard. All that. We've got to be proportionate. But we realized, okay, ours, are, ours have a failure in them because of this, because this has been learnt abroad. This is much more effective. Therefore, this national process came in, and we love it, the searching processes we have now. Um, although because I've got five processes in my mind from 25 years now that have developed over the years, this is undoubtedly the best one, but I had to have a couple of goes at this. And then by... To, by day two of my next week's course, you know, uh, I was skipping through the corridors. Um, but they found the the older guys were struggling because I I could do the first system in now for you. You know, I know it. <laughs> so you don't get rid of it necessarily. You do the second. Then, right, much better system coming in. Nationally, we're like, oh, no, we've just, we're just really good at this one. But it, then this one's really, it is really good. So... But yeah, but that is like a 13 week course now. And for a recruit to get to the end of that, they've done bloody well. And that's why they struggle to get the amount of recruits because it's, it's hard. You can't have, well, you're all right at vehicle interceptions because you, your mates are relying on you to be better than all right. Do you know what I mean? So I've got so, um, we're going to have to do another podcast. You're certainly going to have to come on the live chat because I've, I've got a million questions. This is a very <laughs> fascinating for me. I, I mean, I relate to the 
putting your holster on the toilet door because when I was yeah. on sh- when I was on shit, I used to sleep with my pistol underneath the pillow, right? Yeah, it wasn't anything to do with the movies or <laughs> being re- ready to draw it. At- it was nothing. It was because yeah. I was too scared of lo- of, of lo- losing. Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that, that didn't bear thinking about. No, um, but the. How is it then? Let's just say with the fast driving, because you might have someone who's a good shot, right? And they're good yeah. at the tactics. Yeah. But so many people are awful drivers, aren't they? Can yeah. can you make a bad driver a good one, or is it? Do you have to have that kind of Duke's a hazard skill there in the in the first? Yeah, place? you you can certainly teach. A bit like shooting. Um, I couldn't shoot for toffee on my halfway through my course, and then it came to me like an epiphany. I I just. There are some people that won't be able to drive a car fast or shoot as long as they've got a hole in their backside, unfortunately, because it's just not their thing. I find with shooting or driving, it was the psychology behind it as well. So often in the early days of driving, I'd be like suffering from instructivitis, right? They're there, right? I'd be driving a manual car. And instead of driving it how I think I should drive it, I would think, right, what does he think I should be doing now? Should I be in third? I'm going to go in third gear. Oh, shit, third gear is too early. Right, do you know what I mean? I was overthinking. It's just relaxed. So what I did, psychologically in my mind, I put a curtain up between him and me. And I thought, right, I'm just going to drive how I have been taught and how I think I should drive. Um, I'm going to try to enjoy it. And if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. All right? And then I, I suddenly got so much better. I did a VIP course recently because they do a tactical pursuit and containment and for many years you would drive it like you stole it and you you put the car on like a jacket it's where you surround the cars and drag them off the motorways and Devon and Cornwall we do an awful lot of that I mean absolutely must be oh, I suppose it must have done about 80 100 of them and they're quite intense because you are you're traveling very you know you're nudging each other's bumper and sometimes you touch um, and you're doing that at 85 or 90 miles an hour. And the theory behind, if you're three foot behind it and they break and you smash into them, it's like a boxer getting a good swing at your chin. But if you're close in, you can't, you, you can't get it. You know, you can't get that swing in. Same thing with the car. Um, so, you know, in car three, you're, you're, you're looking through the centre windscreen, the rear screen and the front screen of the car in the middle, and you're looking through the front car as well. And you are getting it out in the front car and the middle car. No, they can't break. They just need to pull off the accelerator if they do that side of thing. So you learn, you learn on motorways, um, on runways, uh, private runways and things. Did you have um, many people get away? Is that, is that no, a common thing? I've got to say, generally not, because the system we used there was, it was shock and awe, so to speak, because there would be no blue lights and sirens and, We'd, if we had an, a, a plane X slide, we'd put that one at the front, so the marker at the back. <clears throat> and so the car with the drugs in, they've been picked up by automatic number plate recognition or in one of the other patrol cars that's picked it up, or there's intel. You get a lot of intel to say there's a car coming down. Or what we do is we look at um, history of what, where, what their movements are, and we go, oh, we think at 3 o'clock they might be coming down today. Um, and then... We will, um, so from all intents and purposes, as they're driving down the road, they're going, and they might go, oh, there's a police car there in lane three. Okay, it's doing, I'm doing 80 to, to stay away from suspicion. 
And that car's always just coming past me at 10 mile an hour. Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Oh, there's one behind. And they've got, they're nabbed like that. And we often ask, how did, and, and that's why when we go around bends, we concertina. So we're always in that line, that straight arrowhead through the cars into the subject vehicle. So they can't see us going around a bend. Um, and we ask them and they go, didn't see you, mate, till the last minute, you know, because it's usually quite a good rapport at the end. And out of all that, the only damage we've had is a cracked number plate. And that was after we'd stopped them. And when the, the defending vehicle rolled back into the, <laughs> into the patrol car. Incredible um, system. But the trouble is when you're training those and then you're training whole scenarios, so you're picking up the cars and I'm thinking, okay, so we've got that patrol car on the A30. We've got another one on the M5. Okay, so let's start bringing them back. Right, this is the plan I'm thinking of. Can I get authority for that? We've got traffic. We've got yeah, helicopters. We've got dog units in case of the starburst. Okay, this is the method we're going to go for because there's various different ones you could use. And of course, then you've got to make progress, then you've got to do it. And I used to get on my report, strong drive, strong drive. And then once I got pulled off and they said, Harry, times have changed. You can't do that anymore. We've had to pull you from the course. Devastating is, yeah, I'm the freaking traffic sergeant. How embarrassing. But with these things, I own it. And I made it loud and proud. And I told people, and I told my section, and I said, right, this is it. They, I need a little bit of adjustment. So that's what I'm going to do. And they, they put two days aside. After two hours, they went, yeah, no problem. Mm. Because it, things had got to, I, I said, well, just, you know, when you're wheel spinning, you're, you're squealing your tires around a bend. And just to show I hadn't got a red mist, I just said to the instructor, and tin coffee will be served in the back shortly, sort of thing. And, and but they went, you can't do that now, Harry. It's how we used to do it 10 years ago, five years ago. Um, and I think now things, they've realised that the people coming through, they're very safety conscious, but actually you still need that little bit of thing, that oomph. So when I did my VIP driving course, um, I nearly did that about four years ago uh, because it, we, we had Vipeg, which specific drivers just did unarmed, but then they needed more VIP drivers. And you do a week on the runways doing all the J-turns and the slaloms with your windscreen full. And then you actually learn how to drive outside of the car. So you're driving at speed in case your windscreen's been taken out or you've got paint on your windscreen. Um, and there's various, various stuff I'd love to tell you about, but I can't. Um, but again, you're putting the car on like a jacket and you're throwing it down the road. And the only criticism I got was, Harry, you seem to be enjoying this a bit too much. <laughs> and it wasn't criticism. They were tongue-in-cheek. They were, they were loving. But good times. You paid me to do that, Chris. Your taxpayers' yeah. money. I'll pay you now for having money. <laughs> um, let's just talk about fast driving then, because I was uh, – fortunate to get taught a bit of rally driving by a by a friend oh, wow. and it just happened to know I, I think to be honest he'd had a course given to him for his birthday or something yeah we used to drive uh pete, pete a pizza round together yeah and he would show me these techniques yeah. that were the complete um opposite of what rationally as an ordinary road user you'd mm. think to do in that scenario for example, um, if you start to, to to lose it on a on a dirt road, mm. you actually speed up 
Yeah. It sucks right. the car. It sucks the car down. That that inertia yeah. forward sucks yeah. the car onto the road, and you gain traction again. Yeah. The other thing is, when, say you're coming into a left-hand bend, just flick the steering wheel right to get the weight of the car yeah. onto the left, <laughs> and then back round again. And so you're cu- so the you're effectively completely redistributing the weights. So you don't. Yeah. To rock the yeah. Is that- I mean, I'd, I'd probably be atrocious at rally driving. So I did shotgun clay pigeon shooting for the first time recently. Terrible. <laughs> clay pigeon wouldn't give up once, you know. And it, it was, you'd shoot two clay pigeons and go, I've got this, this is easy, and then miss eight. You know, it's a totally different thing. And rally driving is exactly the same thing, really, um, because it would be frowned upon if we turned off all the safety things. But um, it's... It's just for us. It's is is going and, and a fair few pursuits, of course. Um, in my last few months, I had quite a number of pursuits, uh, but it's it's um, the difference is it's very much. I'm as I'm driving along, I'm thinking, when am I? Do I bought now? Do I bought it now? Do I bought it now? Okay, he's going for a junction. He's he's not losing speed. Am I just going to pull back and abort it because I'm? He's just panicking, red mist, and he's just going to go across that junction and take out a family of four. Um, it's not worth it. Um, but then, okay, no, brake lights, dipped, good, right. And then you make up your distance through the bends because that's when you know how to take a bend. You know where to use your speed. Um, I mean, I, I was driving at speed, you know, for, for the last 25 years, driving at speed pretty much every day. When I say that, I'm doing 135, 140 every day. I do 250 miles in a shift on on some occasions. Always break the 100, 150. And then you're dealing with an incident at the other end of that, and then you've got to all calm down a bit. And then, you know, and then you could have a shift where absolutely nothing happens at all. So it's not, I mean, rally driving completely different techniques and a skill that I would probably be atrocious with because I'm looking for an unexpected pedestrian, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, or it's just the technique. I, I relate to the, the tilting of the car because the weight distribution is very much like in VIP is if, because if you're in an area where you need to get out backwards, I'm very confident I could whack the car around on a pin and carry on driving now. And we would do that in all types of cars. Um, some of the most difficult would be the Tiptronic because you had to settle the car. You're going in full reverse, settle the car by getting neutral, and then wait, wait, right. Then you whack it around, bring it round, and as you are, then you've got to find the place. Really composed, because you will, you will hit reverse or with the, with the Tiptronic, you know, with the, with the gears, you're going from reverse, obviously, to potentially second, uh, you know, or, or, or whatever the automatic may be. So, so... You, you're thinking a lot and you're going to make that second nature, but then you're doing that in a Ford Focus as well. And then you're doing it in a BMW. And then, but with, because all the modern cons in a car is telling you, you've got to trick that car. So the modern car says, right, you're out of control. I'm just taking over. And it doesn't do what you want it to do. So you've got to trick the car to think that it's stopped. <laughs> and then you're able to, to go around. But if you didn't get the weight distribution right to, 
to stop it, the car would think, for different reasons, the car would think it was in a different situation. It wouldn't let you do what it wanted. Mm. It wouldn't go into second gear, for example, you know. What about then these fast patrol cars or chase cars or whatever mm. the correct terminology is? Have they, I mean, they, I'm looking at them these days, they obviously come out of the factory top of the range. Yeah. Are they, do they then have custom work done on, on the, to upgrade we have, them? We have upgraded brakes um, because we would get a lot of brake fade after a while. Uh, we had, um, in the dim and distant past, I can talk about this now, but we had a problem where we had brake fade because the design of the vehicle we were driving, it would limit at 130. And on a motorway, you're on that limit all the time. So civilian car would not, they wouldn't expect a civilian car to be at 130 for 35 minutes. What that car was actually doing was dabbing the brakes to keep it at 130 and stopping you going over. So then by the time we got to the incident, and I had it once where I pretty much sailed through the incident because I had no brakes whatsoever after I hadn't actually touched them once. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it was learning the technicalities of these, of these things. So we got bigger brakes anyway for other reasons because there's a lot of weight. It's loaded up. But no, engines, no. Um, the engines coming out of the... Certainly are force and most forces. Whether you have... I mean, you buy a Subaru off the shelf, it's pretty quick, <laughs> isn't it? You get a VW, you know, sports car sort of thing. It's, it, they're pretty quick enough. And, and you're relying on... We're, we're doing it all day. We've got the courses, we've got the training, refresher training. We're driving every day, yet Joe Bloggs isn't doing that, even if he's delivering drugs about. He's suddenly got to do it once in five weeks because there's a cop car behind him. So he's going to be a bit more rusty, I would suggest, and not really have the skills to, to sort of... I don't say that that. It's just if you train long enough. But, um, yeah, so... Yeah, to answer your question before, really, it's the driving I got, and then I, I felt I could put it on like a jacket, and I wasn't that... When I was round, driving around in Cornwall in my Ford Cortina Mark IV... I'd drive it like a rally car and whatever. I'd think I was good. It was only when I joined the police I realised how crap I was and how lucky I was to still be alive. Mm. You know, I mean, genuinely, genuinely. Um, because I wasn't aware of the, the contingencies, what-ifs, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, so that, yeah, that's the sort of thing. And, and the shooting, again, is rare I'd drop a shot in the end. Um, I say that, it sounds really pompous, but before I was atrocious. And I thought, I remember ringing my wife going, do you know what? Clearly isn't for me. I was getting 37 out of 50. I needed 45 to pass. And these are all very different. It's not just, these aren't all standing at the end of a shooting. I said, these are different exercises. More quick, reloading, kneeling, standing, different barricades, non-barricades, you know, um, two in the body, one in the head, so to speak, that side of things. To... Um, and then I just, it came to me. And for me, it was just being so gentle with it, gentle with the trigger. Once it goes off, it should go off on its own, you know? And you, I was snatching before, so it's low left, low left, snatch. Because even, and they realized, they, they found that out with me because it's an arrow, just give us your mag. Right, right, okay, put that one in, okay. I'd go bang, 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 right? They put a duff one in there and I went, 
because my psychic was going, it's going to go bang. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And if you move two millimeters with that finger and the gun moves two millimeters, that's 13 inches out at a certain distance, you know. So it's oh, just yeah, yeah. being really gentle, gentle with it, you know. Does it grate you when you watch films and the, the actor shuts their eyes? <laughs> <laughs> and it, that, you know, they've, they've gone their whole career trying to get an Oscar and to be perfect at what they do and portray yeah. their character. And some of them go into, into you know, the, 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 the sort of whole role and everything. And then when they shoot a weapon, they shut their eyes. <laughs> like, this, oh. this is where guns were like this, wasn't it? So you could get the actor's face with the gun. That's why it went like that. And, um, yeah, and it's just different. Was that b- before TVs were this big? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get that moody close-up. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you what does annoy me, uh, but it's just ignorance, and it's not, I don't mean that in a horrible way. I mean in a literal sense, is where people go, well, why don't you shoot them in the leg? Because if, I, if I've got the time and the risk to be to, – to, because if you – a clay pigeon's pretty bad. Moving leg is very difficult. Um, then I don't need to shoot him at all because it means I've got time. If I don't need to stop him completely now, then if I could go, well, I'll go for the leg and hopefully I'll hit it, then it's not last resort. I shouldn't need to shoot it at all. Um, You know, and, and luckily now we've got, because we've got baton guns, we've got taser, but that's not everyone, of course. So that's why I always say I was, I was the lucky one. I hid behind a big gun all the time. It's those other poor buggers out there who, who have not ta- no taser, no guns, you know, and they're going to knife fights, literally. You know, that's the tricky one. And you wonder yeah. why a couple of them get a little bit, um, you know, they, they look a little bit firm on a video somewhere, you know. It's just so unjust. You, if you had to, if you're an insurance broker, would <laughs> you expect someone to come in your office and punch you in the face every three months or so? <laughs> You'd want to do something about it, but that's what police are having to deal with. <laughs> it's a strut, you know. Yes, yes. I tell you what, we we, we there's masses to talk about in 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 that whole area as well mm. as well as what's got. But do you know what? It's been such a great podcast. I, I don't. I'm always talk about this black cloud that's over all of us for yeah. various different reasons and it and it all it all just gets a bit political and a bit negative doesn't it and i it i think I, I just want to talk about you harry and your your career <laughs> and and i think we've done a good you well, you've done a good job of putting that across so thank you yeah oh, no it's been it's been a fascinating guest Us, friends at home fascinating hey Thank you. It's lovely to meet you. And I was very flattered when you asked me. So thank you. Yeah, yeah to that I'm, person. I, who I'm not letting you go yet. No. <laughs> no. Um, on a serious note, though, I did, I did just have one hmm. last thing that I guess I should ask you is yeah. in, in, in this armed response or um, or even just being an armed police officer, what, what were your sort of close calls or your actual yeah. calls? Um. Yeah, the close calls. The close calls were when I was under a rugby scrum, having tried to nick this guy. Again, because I was on my own, you have to show confidence. Head up high, you go through a you go through a little yoblet crowd, you know, because then they don't want to risk 
embarrassing themselves. If you go through and you're sort of head down and all, they'll, they'll pick on you. And I went to an incident where it was a house party and it, it was nothing. I couldn't hear a thing. So I just walked through to, um, I walked through to the house and there was some guy said something sneery. And uh, so again, I would show absolutely, sort of confidence everything all right here okay uh, well just yeah yeah you don't need to be here. okay well where's the owner of the house i just need to see them you know and you'd walk in there and i'd say to you know i wouldn't i'd updated the control room i was there and i was going in it and it all very looked peaceful so i didn't think i was and then the owner of the house said yeah and they won't go and he won't go and by this time the three of them had then facing me off and they were egging themselves on so if i'd shown weakness then they would have known they've got me because it's a situation, especially in the counties, where there's a point every now and then you think, "Uh oh, they can, they know they can do what the hell they like," and I have no idea who they are. I can't identify them. It's it's a big crowd, or it's you know it's dark. And okay, so this is where you need to really push in. Um, and I know uh, some officers act at this point the dopey cop, the old the old rural cop, you know? So he becomes harmless, but they don't know that there's actually the cavalry or it gives them time for the cavalry to arrive. And this is a good technique. Um, and I remember just, and I'm turning this guy around and pushing him out of the house. And that's, a, is it, and, and I get posher, the more, the more uh, angry I get sort of thing, you know? I say, right, you're boring me now. Off you go, turn up, off you go. No, ah, 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 bored now. Off you go, you know, I'm like that sort of thing. So it's, it's sort of when they're UFing, C-U-N-T and this, that and the other, all that. And, um, and, th- and then it got to the point, or well, now I'm scrapping with this guy and now other people, are, and now I'm on top of him, but I've got people in the back. Now I've got a taser and I've got a Glock on the side. Now I know that if I get the taser out, that could be used on me. So I choose not to use the taser. So I think, well, okay, I'm, I'm all right at the moment. I'm taking a few knocks, I'm taking a few kicks. But I've got body armor, I've got, you know, and to be honest, a few bruises and cuts isn't the big end. You know, it's not, it's not a big deal. Uh, but I remember under that lot thinking, oh, okay, this could be a problem. And then I remember seeing a horizontal dog handler flying through the air, taking one of the main instigators out. <laughs> and that was him, not his dog. <laughs> And I thought, cavalry's arrived. I actually wrote a statement and it was, they said, and that was at four in the morning. And um, that was the last time that I've really felt that. And, uh, and uh, the ex-professional standards guy was an inspector of, and it had been referred to him and they they actually use it as a part of training now. And I actually put it in a book. I got a book. Yeah, there you go. I put it in that book. The, the state. I just wrote the statement in, in a, like a blog thing to explain. To, and because I maybe because my dad used to write and I, I always taught me to, you got, don't just put the evidence. I was walking along here. I saw this person. I identified him as this. He said he was going to assault me. I grabbed him. He struggled with it. You've got to paint the picture. You've got to bring the reader as if they are there. You've got to get them to feel what you're feeling. So then you really, it's almost like it's almost a novel, but hopefully non-fiction. <laughs> but it is, you know, that it's uh, and I got and to be honest, I got out after that. I went, that was brilliant. I haven't had one of those for ages. <laughs> but the other time was when I drove into a rave and I was stationed in Dawlish and I was looking for the rave, so I thought I'd go into high ground and I got surrounded. 
and they trashed my car. And I'm even looking for the hills going, right, okay, at some point I've got to make a run for it because I can't get out. There's people everywhere. And this guy from Manchester was like, you know, he was saying, you know, these cars, you know, what did it, you know, what you've got a crappy little thing. I said, well, no, they give us our rural boys, they give us a bit of a punch under the bonnet, you know. This is we'll give you a race. I said, Yeah, I'll give you a race, you know. And um that was the bit that the crowds parted. And he turned left and I turned right, and then I called it in. Because <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I I couldn't take on 2,000 people on my own. And that was close. And then I parked it up at the subsiding chicken shack of my police station, which is like a little porter cabin at the time. And the early turn came in and they went, you all right? Anything happened? I went, no. Oh, um, I think I've damaged the car a little bit. Oh, Harry, what have you done? They go out there and, of course, blue light's missing. Side windows smashed. Rears cracked. It's dented panels. They're like, what the hell have you done? You just think, I mean, there's plenty. I mean, I've been pointing a gun at someone who's just just done a carjacking and they're, they're bringing the gun up and I'm, I've got my mate to the side and I know what he's doing. This is, that's where the slack on was up. The red dot is in my screen and it's darting around his chest. And I'm thinking, okay, is he going to do a quick, I'm going to shoot a copper sort of hero thing in prison sort of thing. And I knew that if it moved one more inch up, I was ready for that. I was just absolutely, and it would have, just release, um, and instead he just went, and he, he just wanted another ten years in prison. He'd been institutionalised, and he was out, and he didn't like it. So he he went to a car sales place and uh, said, "I'll take it from here." <laughs> Pointed the car, the gun at the guy, and drove off the car, and then abandoned it where the helicopter. And, but when all that was on film, and I knew everything was going to be meticulously pulled apart to show, well, why did you shoot him at that point? Well, why didn't you keep your distance? Why did you have to go so close? Why did you not just wait for containment? You know, the what-ifs are easy to talk about, aren't they? Yes. But... Yes, the, the, the scenarios you describe in there, and immediately what's coming in my mind is uh, PC Keith Blakelock, yeah. um, who I discussed with Helen when she was on the show. Yeah. That, that mob thing where suddenly you can be out yes. of depth and it's not going to end well and also of course of the signalers wasn't it in belfast yes and oh they... just horrendous yes yes and it suddenly comes to you okay and you see them the the mood change you see you see the faces but there's so many and they're so crammed together or and you just realize that then then they're sort of they up the game a little bit you know, the kick comes in and whatever, and they're like, they're, they're enjoying it. And you think, oh, okay, now I'm on the backhand because I, my earpiece had been ruled out, pulled out. I couldn't press, because I'm scrapping with them, I can't press my red button. Mm. <clears throat> I couldn't press it for long enough to set it off. And in, in the end, when I thought it had gone, I hadn't. It was only the dog handler that I said that, oh, yeah, there are so I could do some assistance. And he arrived but he left a dog in the van because he didn't think it was, I hadn't given him enough information to think that. And then the whole world appeared. But of course it takes a little time in Devon and Cornwall. Mm. Um, I would give the impression the great majority of people are double crewed. But for me, I, I mean, I didn't mind being single crewed a lot of the time, but a lot of the time there was an odd number on ARV. So I can't keep one in the police station, you know? Um, 
And again, I knew statistically speaking, I probably wouldn't have been so happy to do that in Manchester or Belfast or something like that, you know. Um, I knew that um, I had enough knowledge to to think, okay, I'm going to bite off more than I can chew here, so I'm just going to hold back. But that didn't really happen. can't remember when it did happen, but I would be prepared to do that. But then I've always said... I've always said that because health and safety came into it a little bit and there was a little bit like, well, you know, you've got to assess whether you're, is it achievable, you know? So is it achievable? But I always think um, a police officer should put themselves at least to the equal risk as a member of public, you know? So you shouldn't expect a police officer to turn up at an incident and go, yeah, it's it's too dangerous. I'm not going to deal with this. You can minimise that risk. But you couldn't, there is something they can do, even if it's to keep the public away from going into that dangerous area sort of thing. Yes. Because you've only got to have one member of that crowd that's got a deep enough hatred from his, you know, his life experience or his upbringing or even the the effect his parents' experience has had to to really want to take it out on you and then... Yeah, And, and it's not, they're not taking it out on Harry Tangy. They're taking it out on the authority, the government, that's who you are. You're the enemy. You're the one who's been the ills to all their problems, you know. So, yeah, and here's their chance. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this is why good policing has to be good policing, doesn't it? But I tell you, the, 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 the way I see it, and there's very similar, well, identical situation in the forces is, um you you have the system mm. then you have the people in it and it, it it depends on their degree of ego to which each situation they encounter is about them and about yeah. an offense to that other other than seeing it's being able to step out of your ego and seeing it kind of structurally for what it is and that's why you get some excellent um policemen service personnel but you always get that dick that yeah he gets the badge yeah it's is it's an extension of his ego or his you know broken image of self yeah and and this is why you know the uh, the, the the best policeman, to my mind, is if you've committed a road offence, who pulls you over and says, "Do you realise what you've done there?" So when you're like, "Yeah, I did this," right? You're not going to do it again, are you? No, no, no. You're going to learn so much more from that encounter with the police, and you're going to take that. You're 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 right. You're right. I think. Personally, there's, I think a lot of people treat speeding, for example, as a occupational hazard. They, they have very busy lives. And if you've just been to a fatal because someone's driving excessively or they didn't do a shoulder check, so the cars spell off, span off the motorway, but because the car that was coming by at 100 miles an hour span off and they died, whether they're statistically so much more likely to survive if they fell off at 70, you know, um, then you sort of think, okay, they're going to drive away and go, do you know what? That couple is great, but they're probably going to speed again. 
And at some point, I think sometimes, I think, well, I'm not going to convince you in your, and I, I would call it selling a ticket. You have to sell the ticket. Okay, look, you can't make it like an automatic machine. I knew a cop who did that. You have committed a misdemeanor. This is, it was almost like that, you know. Mm. Um, I think, look, you need to say, look, this is the reason why. This is because this is what happened just down the road from here. And these were very ordinary people. So, you know, so um, I've got to issue you with this ticket, blah, 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 blah. Because at least then they think sometimes, well, I've got three points. I can't, I don't want, I've already got three. Um, I wonder if that snotty little copper's around somewhere or someone like him. Therefore, I'm going to keep my speed down for a little bit. What would be, what was the best, you know, the most satisfying thing for me is when somebody had had a pint of beer and you were breathalyzing them and they were over on the screener on the roadside breath test and they suddenly saw their whole world disappear. They'd obviously had a couple of pints, whatever. And they thought, I've lost my driving license, therefore my job now, therefore I can't pay my mortgage. And when you get into the station, they're just under. And you go, yeah, okay, that was screening advice, you're under, just. You will not get someone again. <laughs> That's the best lesson in the world. <laughs> you know that they are never going to be put themselves in that situation again. And you're happy for them because they weren't over but they learned a hell of a lesson then. They were being a bit too um, cavalier with it, but they suddenly see the repercussions of it. And I think sometimes speeding um, and seatbelts, seatbelts would say, well, it's my choice, isn't it? My choice. And I would always say, well, it isn't, because instead of being an outpatient, you are now in intensive care for six weeks and I have to pay for that. So that's why we have certain rules that we expect people as an, on the condition of the driving license to follow sort of thing. Um, and some people have never really thought of that. And they say, well, you know, I know someone who was thrown clear of a car and, they, oh. and the car burst into flames. And I said, I'll tell you what, <laughs> well, I've heard that. Right? I, I said, I'd love to know where this happened because it happened all over the country at some point. <laughs> all these cars bursting into flames and people being thrown clear of them. A bit like scrumping in the old days. And people used to say, I used to scrump animal. I, I, the copies of uh, scrump apples. It, the copy used to give me a clip around the ear. I used to go home, tell my parents, and get another one from them. And I, I think it's such a sweet tale, but I've heard it a million times. There must have been so many apple orchards in this great country of ours <laughs> with kids nicking apples. <laughs> but... Yeah, it must be very... Sh well, I mean, you know, I know from personal experience, it's quite shocking to be... To be taken to the police station shocking further to spend not a night in the cells <laughs> uh, it's also a bloody good shock it's a very it's a right wake-up call you know um i i say it's the it's, it's the love of a good woman usually sorts people out because let's face it it tends to be the guys and they get their, their youngsters they, they're into the stuff and then they're anti-cop anti-cop and then five years later you see them and they're as nice as pie and you go oh you're all right you know yeah, 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 you know, and it's, yeah, basically they met a good woman who said, look, I'm not putting up with it, so if you want to carry on, I'm off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so we right, need more uh, good women out there. <laughs> I imagine you must get, you must get, say the drink driving thing, you must get people when you, when, when they have to accompany you to the station or in yeah. the back of your patrol car, obviously, Yeah, they must fall apart. 
must be it must yeah. be one of the biggest some, shocks that they've ever had. But then some are. But you're assuming that they're rational people, and it's amazing how many people are so arrogant they couldn't care. And to be honest, they'll probably think they're going to drive anyway, because who are you to stop them? And any of that stuff doesn't happen to them and all this sort of thing, you know. And then um, I don't know if the public knew, you know, these uh, special lawyers that get people off. There was one in particular. Well, they would basically specialise and charge 10 grand to get you off um, <clears throat> to get you off drink driving. And basically they go through, it's quite a complicated procedure and everything is actually, it's done right with it generally, but they'll put down, well, you didn't tick that box. Why didn't you tick that box? Well, if you didn't tick that box, are we to suggest that you did everything else right as well? And they start to get doubt in there. Um, and every, every um, court case that people, because you've just got magistrates who are thinking, well, it's benefited that now they've put doubt in there because these very skilled, barristers charging 10 grand what people don't know if if they lost the the defendant would have to pay for that but if the police lost that case the taxpayer paid for that 10 grand a time um and you're getting police off it was a well the police officers should do their file correctly then the police officers have gone to four incidents that day they've done the investigation they've done it's four o'clock in the morning they've done the procedure it's all on you know camera now and all this sort of thing done it to the best that it is there's nothing in that procedure that would have made it that an innocent person got found guilty. Nothing. But it's a court of law. It's not a court of justice. So they find a technicality or just a bit of that, that tick box thing. Um, oh, you ticked this. Oh, I didn't mean to tick that. It's meant to be the, the box underneath that. Ah, well, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. So therefore, I put it to you, your worships, that the, he did not caution my client at this particular point, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? You see how it's so easily done. Um, and uh, so that was horrendous. So in the end, the police, certainly down the Cornwall, started to write, okay, let's nip this in the bud. And they got the best barristers. And they brought them down and they defended. They prosecuted. So the, the best against the best. And suddenly a client started losing. And suddenly, there we've got a 98% positive rate of getting you off drink driving. Come to us. Started go falling. And therefore now... I believe it's not such a problem anymore. Mm. But you've got to hit these things head on, you know, because these people are out the next day driving, drink, driving again. Yes. You know, because like they, they are play, arrogant, play, horrible people about. It's when you let play poker and the guy with the, the biggest stash keeps going all in, all in, and yeah. you're like, oh, <laughs> down to your last cup, couple of toker, you know. And you, and exactly you, that. Fold, yeah. fold, fold, fold. But sometimes you just got, no, okay. Yes, yes, I get it. I get it. (laughs) Can we talk about county lines, Harry? Yes. Which is a fascinating Mm. topic in itself. Can you just clarify for me, it's slightly different, isn't it, from, for example, the Liverpudlian connection in the southwest, where young young Liverpudlians, I don't use the term Scouse, I think it's always always used in Plymouth Durant, Derogatory. Well, it used to be Torquay, Newquay, and Ilfracombe were the, uh, the the Scouser area, really, and certainly more so in the past for us, because basically they were given a choice: you could either be unemployed in Liverpool, or you could be anywhere else unemployed and create benefits. That was certainly about twenty-five years ago, and so of course there was a big move 
And then, of course, and then Liverpudlians in Liverpool would go, well, there's loads of us, of, of like-minded people down in Torbay. Let's go down to Torbay. And so that's how that sort of happened. Mm. And yeah, and they did have a reputation of being cheerful, cheeky, but maybe, you know, uh, but not known for their in total honesty on all occasions. <laughs> well, it, I, no, it was very, very different from my experience back in the day. Yeah. Is they were very, they were the, Oh, the high, very yeah. nasty, very, yeah. na- very serious, yeah. hardened but low-level criminals, so drugs, sure, basically. Sure. And mm. they saw these seaside revort- resorts. Mm. They looked at the guys, you know, dealing the Class A's and thought, well, they're a bunch of wimps. Yeah. They went in and they literally just threatened them, right, fuck off, mate. With, yeah. with, and, and they just took it over. And then they would move in with a vulnerable mm. client you know, so someone who's buying their gear and say, right, we're going to live in your place. Yeah. And, exactly you know, that. might be getting exactly a bit of speed or whatever. And then the person couldn't get them out, right? No, of course. They didn't have the the confidence to do that. And you're talking, um, and there's numerous places in Devon and Cornwall and anywhere else like that, that were the case. It was a very famous case where I think the, some guy was actually thrown off a, a bridge, um, they just stayed in his house. Um, incredibly sad. Yeah, by giving him drugs or money, making him feel special because he's got company. He no longer feels lo- lonely. He feels part of a group, friendly, and then it turns, of course. Mm. And then before they know it, they're homeless. Um, and they don't know who to tell or what to say. Um, it's absolutely devastating. And that's why there's always a big push around here by saying, if you think there's something just doesn't seem quite right, let us know. There's lots of visiting between certain addresses that weren't normally before. Um, you just put yourself in that position, it just horrendous, that no get out situation. Um, and sometimes, certainly in the early days, it was very difficult to prove as well. Um, now we have the Serious Offences Act. I used a couple of times firearms jobs where people were living with people who were very vulnerable um, so I used the Serious Offences Act, controlling and coercive behaviour. So you could just control their money, control their movements, um, whereas before that wasn't really an offence. Well, you've given them permission to do that. Well, you've actually given them your password, so how can it be forced? Do you know what I mean? So, But now you can use controlling and coercive behaviour, which is, um, you know, it's got to be used in the right place. And because without the evidence, you, you won't be able to get it through. So. But it was very good. I remember using that for someone's grandparents once, who's some guy actually running running the roost in that house um, and felt he was untouchable. Um, but, yeah, that's certainly what I arrested him for because there was very little else to think about, uh, to arrest him for at the time. He, had a, he was threatening people with crossbows and things, and it was on Facebook, but it wasn't quite enough. And I thought, oh, okay, we'll use this one. So it's quite useful, little bag there. But yeah, it is, it is, and there's no escape. This is why people say, I joke, right? And I say on Twitter, and I, I, I say, come to Devon and Cornwall. Just, you know, why, why do you just, if you're a copper in the London, Mersey, you know, in Liverpool, West Mids, whatever, come to Devon and Cornwall. The sun always shines and people swear occasionally, you know? And you, because <laughs> I, I don't take, to, the chief constable can't say that because it's not actually completely true. Um, although mainly it is. And, uh, but uh, I can say that tongue-in-cheek and people go, well, actually, it does look rather nice. I've just seen photographs of Padstow and St. Tides and, you know. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, we get we get all the problems everyone else gets, but on a lower level. But when we do, we had uh, I remember Yardies coming. I remember the firearms guys just as I joined did a job on the triads that were coming down, taking over areas, um, cracking fake road traffic collision, got them diverted off into an area where they put every window in on their mercs and stuff. Um, and Yardies was was the case. Simoleons, we had a horrendous situation where drug dealers' um, girlfriends were being raped and stabbed. You know, so this is in Devon and Cornwall. You know, this isn't. Yeah, um, well, one of the one of the mo's down this part of the world was carrying a little vial of acid with you yeah. to intimidate. You know, people, drug dealers who hadn't paid you, clients that yeah. hadn't paid you. Another another mo was um, getting a local girl pregnant. So then they, the council were powerless to issue an at, issue you with an ASBO, so uh, an antisocial behaviour right. order. Right. Um, I should just clarify for our uh, our foreign listeners and watchers: this is not all the people of Liverpool who are very no. wonderful. <laughs> A wonderfully kind part of the world, the north north of England. <clears throat> this is like all 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 areas have have their gangs, right? It's yeah. just that the Liverpudlian ones, and I'm I'm sure yeah. Glasgow is maybe maybe similar. I, I'm not so sure, but it's just that down here there's a particular problem with the Liverpudlian gangs, and and compared to the local criminals, these guys very serious and very mm. nasty, very nasty. It is the case, I, but I think we get an awful lot of problems from London and mules being used as well. Very young, terrified women carrying drugs inside them, driving, being driven down here um, by somebody who, as the car's clean, they're clean, but they're just keeping an eye on them. They are the baggage, and it's, it's dealing with that side of things. So then we would take the person you put them in the frost suite so it's with the frost suite was where they, you know with they wait till they go to the toilet and whatever and see what comes out that side of things but it was really kind of, it's a bit like um sex trade really it's and uh sex trafficking and that side of things it's it's don't go for the easy option of right she's got the drugs on her we'll lock her away because you don't get rid of the problem you don't cut the, the head off the snake and they just use someone else the next day simple as that um you need to to get up further up the line. And um, that's done. I mean, they, they called the cops was on recently, uh, Channel 4, and a good friend of mine there, Ollie Taylor, was the police sergeant involved in a sex trafficking one where the boat came into a harbour, small harbour in Cornwall, of course, and there were okay, 32, 32 immigrants um, coming in. They'd been a year making their way from Vietnam. And of course, so we do get quite a lot of that because all the code smuggling went on hundreds of years ago in, in Cornwall and guess what? It still happens now. <laughs> you know, sail something in to anywhere and, and unload it here. So we don't, we don't, it's not all idyllic and lovely, but I've got to say it is pretty idyllic and lovely here. Yes. Um, you the, know. Um, the two things I'll come on to because you, you, uh, you raised a couple of points that I think will be interesting to everybody, but going back to the county lines, so... Mm. My understanding is it's a little bit similar to, 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 to what we just talked about, but these are where inner city 
gangs that deal an awful lot of of, of drugs mm. will send a runner who's you, normally someone young under their control out to a rural area mm. again lo, lo, loaded with with gear and they will kind of stamp their authority on that area yeah. and also have all the good drugs yeah and they will have a, a burner phone give out their number to every everybody almost like brazenly right you need anything here you go and, yeah and they're making an awful lot of money doing that yeah and of course it's very mobile as well isn't it it's extremely mobile so they can set up and leave and whatever um as much as they like but they don't leave too often um and it, it, it is because, uh, and, and a lot of the time, it, it is generally only known by people involved in that sort of background. And so it's very difficult sometimes for the shopkeeper to see what's going on. There's this new chap coming in, seems to be a lot of, seems to have a lot of friends, but there's nothing really to report. Well, what am I going to tell the police? Do you know what I mean? And, well, you know, little, little lad who is the odd, odd chap, you know, suddenly got a friend or two, seems to be, a, you know, not sure what's going on there, but something's not right. And suddenly he doesn't seem very happy, but then what's there to call the police about? And those are the important times to do that. We, 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 we have this thing, you, you'll have heard maybe um, safeguarding. Safeguarding as term, it's a new term. Some time ago, it was a new term. Really. Um, and you say, oh, here we go again, here we go again. But what it is actually, it's going, it's cutting the snake off, the, the head off the snake even in domestic situations with county lines, that side of things is, is okay, you, you deal with the incident, but how do you stop it reoccurring? And so they don't just bring the police in, they bring the council, they bring the town hall people in, they bring social workers in, uh, drug awareness, you know, they, they all sit in a room, so to speak, and they say, right, this case here, these are the searchers, and they share the information, and they go, how can we deal with this? Right, well, simply i can give simon there who's being given a, who is being targeted we can give him another house the other side of the other side of the county if he's happy to do that um immediately stops that problem yeah it doesn't it, but, but and between them they get it done a lot quicker than if they go i've got an idea we need to get him right get hold of the channel can we can we you know da, 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 da. well you know there's a long list and this that and the other. do you know what i mean so it's a really good system to get rid of the problem. Um, a real, real progress. Yeah, that, real progress of it. it was Victoria Climbier, wasn't it? That that the the multi agency working. Oh, was it? Um, Tell me. No. Yeah, because I my, the job you just described, which we we would call as a drug worker, we call that a core group where you um, right or you had oh, right you had like young persons forums as well where all the professionals across all the yeah. um uh, you know across all, all all the areas we get together yeah. in a room and they'd say we've got this young person this mm. is happening this is their housing and people one at a time would would offer what they could do and and the reason was that the um i think it was victoria climbier was a, a girl that was eventually murdered by her parents oh. and the reason that they oh yes yeah I'm, I'm with you the mother and daughter wasn't it who were being um that's where the hate crime stuff was coming up wasn't it are you talking about the girl who was being so intimidated and bullied that 
the, and she was was she the um, autistic one or somewhere? No, and the mother. That might have been a. Ah, oh, sorry. Might been a, no, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's quite a fascinating um, part, mm. part of kind of UK, UK social work history. Right. Is and I, I'm, I'm praying I haven't got the wrong wrong name, but but it was that every time a social worker visited this young child to do her job because oh, the child was yeah. subject to a to a child protection order. Right. The parents would go, would would cover her face in say oh. jam, yeah, right? and say oh, and yeah. what it was is they were covering the signs, the bruises Bruising, of, of yeah. abuse. And when yeah, the social worker went, you know, oh, can I just, um, uh, you know, speak speak to your daughter alone? They'd be oh no, what it is? We've got someone coming in a minute, and so yeah. oh, you'll have to, and 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 this. It, 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 what what was happening was the cases social workers were going oh right oh oh, oh and they were kind of a bit helpless yeah and then yes. the, these um children in this situation their parents then when say the school wanted to have a word would use the same manipulative coercive mm. yeah uh, subterfuge subterfugal behavior yeah yeah, yeah. because the because the services weren't talking to each other yeah all of this slipped through the net yeah and this the whole safeguarding thing well uh, uh, came in around the time of multi-agency working was yeah but was rather than the police do their job the school does yeah so i think the human rights act um not the human rights act um it's all to do with the confidentiality people were really they didn't know what to do with oh have i lost you no oh good okay uh people really didn't know what to do um whether they would be breaching confidentiality we even get it now and think well actually no you're not breaching confidentiality now but they, they would say well no i can't do that because they were petrified and it was just easier to to say no and and then they got their act together and they realized right we all agree we can do this it's all it's all for the good of one incident and one particular thing working together and a lot more got done i think people were worried they were breaking the law initially it was just easier to say no wasn't it yeah that you make a valid point though harry i when it came to understanding these policies 50 percent of people i work with in let's call it the social yeah. social field were just incompetent they couldn't understand they couldn't differentiate the difference between safeguarding where yeah where you can safeguard with anyone if it's about, let's say, a child or an elderly person who could be being abused, you can say what you know to another professional. Yes. Um, and they would mistake this for, like you say, breaching confidentiality, which is a completely different, you know. Yes, exactly. It It's like, so this person may have a criminal offence for this. Fine, that's it. You're not going to tell anybody that. It's nobody's business. But if that person suddenly is looking after it, moved in with somebody else who's got a young child, yeah, I think yeah. everybody knows where I'm going it with it. It took a while, yeah. This professional is duty-bound to, mm. to inform the authorities to protect that child. And as I say, again, probably a part of the world that we've moved into now where people are just so dumbed down yeah. and lost the ability for, for critical thinking and personal responsibility yeah it becomes yeah. an absolute minefield to yeah yeah 
It does. And there's never any simple answers. That's the problem. But, uh, and of course, then, then there's workload for social workers and things, a huge workload. And it's a bit like being a firearms officer is, you know, they make one mistake in their career. It's pulled apart and, you know, um, it's incredible pressure on these people. Yes. Don't envy them. Yes. So final um, thing I'd la- like to ask you, Harry, and I-, I know my subscribers would probably like me to ask you as well. As a firearms officer, did you have a favourite weapon? How did you find the weapons that you had to use? Um, I found things like G36s, which are like semi-automatic. All ours are semi-automatic. One, one pull, one bang. Um, but you can pull it lots of times, clearly. So G36, it was a point and squirt weapon. It was fine. It was, it was all right. It doesn't excite me too much. The MP5, your grandmother could shoot that. Um, and it was one of the reasons it came in originally into the police service. The police authority then were made up of quite elderly people. And they went, oh, no, it looks very militaristic because the SAS used them. Um, and then they gave one to the oldest member and said, well, go and have a shoot. And they were a beautiful group because it, it's got no recoil on it. And um, they said, well, so we can either use this weapon or we can use another one which we could miss the target and maybe get... The mother with the pram down the road instead uh okay so the mp5s were changed so that was a good little story with that or the mp5s but then they moved away we still use them um because the met use them for vrp so we use them for that a baton gun yeah just it's just like a heavyweight boxer punching you in the stomach i baton gunned someone last year who was running at me with two kitchen knives that was quite exciting um but i had conventional weapon backing me up on that as well so we usually baton gun usually is brought in with taser. Just a so, question on the MP5, because yeah. you said there you were semi-automatic. So that yeah. people listening, that means automatic means the weapon load cocks itself, but you mm. still have to pull, you know, you pull the yeah. trigger, but you don't get the no. submachine gun burst, right? No, it's, it's but, difficult difficult to tell a court that each shot was individually accounted for when it goes. But are you saying, Harry, that was that a um, an alteration that the manufacturer made to the weapon for you? Because traditionally, yeah. it can spray a burst, right? The MP. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some where it says one or three or auto. I've seen that, and whether that was on the MP5, so you could have three rounds. Mm. So I have fired fully automatic, and you end up not looking down the sights; you really look alongside it. Because and then move it around like a hose, I found. But no, I don't know is the answer. Um, I would imagine they did the two options. Maybe when they introduced it to the police service, I don't know. Um, my favourite one, without a doubt, is the Glock, uh, Glock 17. Because it takes, it's like going, for me, it's like going for a round of golf. You, the minute you don't concentrate on each shot, you'll, you'll slice it. And, and it takes, and it's, I had a very quick draw, so that would give me half a second more on my colleagues to have half a second more to actually aim more. Do you know what I mean? So very, very quick. Um, And just so versatile. That's how it's really meant to be a weapon of defence, the last resort sort of weapon. Uh, But it took a a fair bit more, and I got so much more enjoyment from that. When you walk down at 20 metres, for example, and you see a nice... You know, they're all on there. and Because each one, you you just snatch it slightly on one. It's off. You'll miss it. And even the, the quick stuff, the quick would be 
um, you know, it would be 10 meters sometimes for the VIP and it would be the, the target's turn. You draw two in the body, two in the body, one in the head in three seconds to draw. Bang, 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 bang. There's not a lot of aiming and thinking, but it's very satisfying when that, that, that happens. We just get you used to different scenarios. The reason why you do two in the body, two in the body, one in the head is terrorism, terrorists if they have a body armor or whatever. Bang, bang, that's not work. Bang, bang, no. Right, and then you have to readjust. So it's, they find a lot of muscle memory stuff in training. So they try to train out muscle memory. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they used to with training, used to draw, shoot, and put it in a holster again. Well, they stopped doing that because they found a live incident somewhere in the country where there was the bad guy, draw, shoot, put the gun, and then they shot him because it was his habit. So it's a, they would have had that in the military as well. It's real. I love. I love that weapon. I'll, I'll miss that slightly. <laughs> wow, Harry. Before we say our goodbyes, do you want to hold your book up again and just? Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, 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 thank you. Firearms uh, and Fatals. Yeah, it wasn't meant to be published. I did it as a, a sort of as a an account of thirty years in policing, uh, of frontline policing that I've had, and so someday when my kids when they're 21 now and you know what it's like if you have absolutely no interest in what I do or what I've done <laughs> but maybe when I'm dead and gone and even their kids might be mildly interested I certainly couldn't care for to have you know when I'm dead I'm gone I couldn't care um but it's actually nice to have a little record there of how things were um and it was only when uh, my mum had a friend who's very intelligent <laughs> very Good authors talks about, you know, writes books on churches and parishes and history. And, and I was absolutely shaking my boots. I said, oh, really much? Yeah, you need to have someone to just look at it. And so I gave it to them. And, and in the end, they were quite excited about it. So I knew it wasn't going to be terrible. It wasn't going to be a car crash. And yeah, it's dummy. It's self-published, but um, I've just done the Audible and some um, ebook, And it's done really well. It's... Yeah, so for self-publisher, it's it's done about four and a half thousand now. I've sold since May, so I'm really pleased with that. Yeah, well, you do, you deserve to be, and and I'm guessing people can find it on Amazon. Yeah, all on Amazon, Audible's, and loads of other places. But uh, is it is only our, on Amazon. Our local Waterstones as well is that a? Problem? No, it won't because it's Amazon and because it's self uh, because it's self-published. It stays with Amazon. Um, so yeah, um, but it, without them, I wouldn't have been able to do it. So yes. I'm, I'm very fortunate, really. No, I as an author, and, and also I've got a, a publishing company, so I know exactly what what you mean. There, there is a way around that. So you, so at least if someone walks into a shop, they can right. all, order your book from the till. Um, oh right, okay. They, I'll speak to you later about that. Talk, yeah. We'll talk yeah. later about that. We're not not we're not going to talk later about drugs and guns and fast cars. We'll talk, about, <laughs> yeah. talk about books. <laughs> Told you, I'm fifty. <laughs> Me too. I'm fifty-one. I, uh, I actually see. <laughs> yes, I'm loving it. So, Harry, thank you ever so much. Um, thank you for having if me. You mate. can. I'm going to put your YouTube channel obviously below this video and all your social media links. Um, is there anything, any message you want to give people with respect to your services or, or whatever it might be? 
Yeah, th- thank you for that. I'm, my little role at the moment is I can at least tell how it is from the police side of things. The, the massive majority of police are wonderful, lovely human beings. They're just normal people. They don't go through a filter, so they become horrible, bigoted people. Um, and remember, they just can't talk for themselves a lot of the time. Their bosses in certain areas um, are very different different from them i'm not saying they're bad but they have a lot of politics involved so don't my rule my 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 advice is don't believe everything you see not what you hear but then with videos um just keep an open mind until you've got all the information because there's an awful lot of damage being done on that to coppers out there who are doing it who are out there and i get told by them an awful lot of the time i say look just do right for yourself so you can stand up in court anytime with a clear conscience to say how it is look after your colleagues and sod the haters they'll they'll disappear and you'll be absolutely fine yes that's Thank always you, that's always going to be good advice in this modern world <laughs> thank you mate well thanks yeah. for helping me um, having me even yes <laughs> appreciate harry stay on the line i'll just say goodbye to our friends at home so friends at home massive love to you all and to your families i hope i hope you're all doing as well as possible in these uh, interesting times, shall we say. Uh, If you could like and subscribe, if indeed you did like, and if you can consider supporting me on Patreon, um, some of you will probably be aware if, if you know how this whole YouTube thing works. It's just becoming increasingly hard to tell you guys the truth about things. Um, video many of my videos just get demonetized now and and so if i could ask for your support two pounds a month on patreon if you like these sort of conversations and um there's a lot of perks and benefits that go with that and that's it so i'll say goodbye goodbye friends thank you for listening to the bought the t-shirt podcast please like subscribe and share And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.